WAPG Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 273. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A in the APG headquarters building in an Atlanta suburb. In this episode, British Airways computer meltdown going on right now as we speak. An update on the Challenger jet in-flight upset over the Indian Ocean. A Learjet 35A crashes in Teterboro. More news and your feedback and the latest Plain Tales episode. Captain Nick in the buff. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat racks in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 273 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, an aviation podcast. I'm a captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier here in the United States, hence Captain Jeff. And joining me from across the pond, we have... A professional photographer, a former fighter pilot, a commercial airline captain extraordinaire for Captain, excuse me, Acme Red, Captain Nick Anderson. Hi there, Jeff. Great to be back on the show. Thank you very much, as always, for that lovely introduction. It's a nice um, afternoon here, improving all the time after the dreadful thunderstorms of last night, but probably more of that later. Uh, And I've managed to get my clothes on in time for the show. Excellent. Love to hear more about that soon. And also joining us from this side of the pond, not too far away from me, we have Pilot Dana, former regional pilot and now a mad dog operator for Acme Air Mainline. Captain, well, soon to be probably one of these days, Captain Dana. Good I promoted morning, you. Uh, <laughs> good morning, Captain Nick over there on the other side of the pond. Good morning, Captain Jeff. Hey, great to be back with uh, everybody in the APG uh, community, and uh, sorry I missed the great uh, uh, meetup in Pittsburgh, but uh, I guess we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, certainly uh, certainly wide awake. I woke up a little bit before 7 this morning, all showered, dappered up, ready to rock and roll this morning with uh, another great show here in APG. Oh, you look so dapper. You do. You dapper young thing. Um, yeah, so let's start off with, well, this is the first show that we're uh, recording since we have uh, returned from Pittsburgh. And I don't know about you, Captain Nick, but I'm still trying to recover from that uh, great uh, series of days of av geekdom in uh, Pittsburgh. We had a grand time and we, I promise we won't talk about it too much because I know that uh, some of the people like Dana are, are uh, like they were envious that they weren't able to join us, and uh, we don't want to rub it in their their oh, their no, noses no, too much. And pilot Pepper, yeah. he definitely didn't want to be there. So, uh, I mean, uh, I've listened to his show. He hardly even mentioned uh, Pittsburgh. So, yeah. What, what was the uh, what was the title of his show again? Um, I'm not at in Pittsburgh or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was great. No, it was a fabulous time. And um, uh, we did tend to burn the candle at both ends. And for those of us 
who were a trifle jet-lagged to start with, it all became a bit of a blur <laughs> towards the end. I, uh, I had a few days at home, and then I've um, done a New York, just got back from that, and um, I now have a series of guests coming, so I'm not going to have much of a chance to uh, relax, but I guess uh, there'll be plenty of time to sleep when I'm dead. Yes, you'll have plenty <laughs> hey, that's of time. my line. You can't steal that. <laughs> I thought it might be. <laughs> no, it was fabulous time. Great to meet everyone there. Um, everyone was in such good humor. It was so funny, so full of, um, of, of joy. Uh, everyone was being terribly friendly. The aircraft there were unbelievable. Uh, the flying was, was brilliant. Uh, the booze was uh, excellent uh, and um, in great quantities. So uh, with that and a few pizzas and things, uh, you know, couldn't have asked for a better weekend. That is so true. So you'll notice that uh, one of our normal or regular, not normal, none of us are normal. One of our regular <laughs> hosts uh, is not with us this morning. And uh, Dr. Steph, uh, I guess, I'm not sure, but I think she's meeting her boyfriend. And I think he's in the Navy uh, based on some of the photos that I've seen in the, uh, so is that what's going on, uh, Captain Nick? Well, yeah, you might know uh, more about this. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, she just seemed to have snuck off to a ship somewhere and taking pictures of airplanes. So she, boyfriend doesn't seem to be getting much of a look in if that's uh, what's going on. Yeah. I haven't seen any uh, selfies with her uh, Navy, uh, officer boyfriend uh, or enlisted you know who cares um but uh you know she's keeping that on the down low apparently but she's in she's in port and uh having a great time apparently <laughs> now she's in charleston south carolina i think visiting family and having a great time so uh we miss you i know you're in the chat room right now so everybody wave hi to dr steph and i'm sorry you couldn't join us we're, we're going to do a show uh last week i was on a four-day trip left on tuesday and uh, I brought all the gear with me, uh, thinking that we'd be able to record a show, but uh, it didn't work out. The stars did not align. Our, our, all of our schedules are mismatched this week. Uh, Dana was on a trip. I think he was down. You were down in Cancun, I guess. Uh, yeah. And uh, enjoying some quality beach time. Uh, yeah, it looked like it. I saw the. I saw a nice picture of your sandy feet on the beach. And uh, yes. let's Missed see. Missed the sailboat in the background, though. Yeah. Beautiful sailboat. Excellent. And then, Captain Nick, you were on a trip as well in New York City. I was. I was at Grandma's house. <laughs> Grandma's so house. Garden City, for those who don't know. Garden City Hotel. Uh, our young ladies have dubbed Grandma's house. It's, um, it's quite nice uh, there, but a bit old-fashioned. Their internet is not really up to broadcast quality. So, sorry, I could join you. Yeah. Um, With my imagination, did Captain Nick just flip us off? Um, I don't know. I wasn't looking at the video. Did he? He he scratched his beard with his number one <laughs> finger. Oh well, <laughs> it was it was probably my index finger. But if you want me to, no, I can. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. There you go. Uh, Good morning to you too. <laughs> anywho, I mean, anything to oblige, Taylor? Anything? Okay, cool. So I'm, I'm happy I, to be back now. I was in, um, <laughs> let's see, Orlando, all three layovers this week. And the, the day we were going to try to do the show, um, my bandwidth was horrible as well. So we just decided, you know, you know what? We'll uh, deal with our own horrible bandwidth in our own homes and try to do this on, on Saturday. <laughs> yes. So here we are. 
And uh, unfortunately, uh, Steph had already planned to be out of the town, out of town. By the way, Dr. Steph, happy belated birthday. She celebrated uh, her birthday this week. And uh, yeah, that's she's about. now finally legal. She's over 18. Yeah, she just she's now illegal to drink. Well, no, yeah, 21. Yeah. 21, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's, oh, true. Yeah, that's right, 21. I was, I was thinking over in Europe, that's 18. Yeah. Used to be uh, 18 uh, here when I was actually, growing up. You can actually drink at 14 here if you're uh, in the right kind of situation. Well, as long as you're with your parents as a child up in Wisconsin, you can drink at any age. I think oh, that's right. true. I think pretty much everywhere. I mean, I think you can, you know, like your kids are underage, you can, you can give them something to drink as long as you're not doing a kegger. <laughs> Or something, <laughs> uh, but I could be wrong about that. And if I am, please uh, don't turn me in. Not that I did anything like that. So I've got a little story to tell, Jeff. I, yes, please. I mean, it's kind of a uh, little story about fatigue. So I came home from my uh, last flight, and uh, you know, it's an overnighter, and uh, we don't get a lot of rest uh, necessary beforehand because uh, it's not really our body clock sleepy time so it's always hard so we always land we're pretty tired anyway i was on the bus going to the car park where the crew will park their cars and i uh, reached into the the big sort of rack area on the bus and, and grabbed my suitcase and threw it in the back of the car and drove home and all the way home the phone keep kept ringing and i i don't really have it properly set up for hands-free good anyway i had the roof down so you couldn't have heard me at 85 miles an hour. But eventually I got bored with this phone ringing and uh, pulled over and answered it. And uh, it was someone saying, um, Nick, have you got your suitcase in the back of your car? And I said, yeah, I'll just go and check. So I opened up the uh, boot, uh, the trunk, if you prefer. And um, there was a suitcase there. And then I took a slightly closer look. <laughs> and it wasn't mine. So... Uh, <laughs> I had I picked up suitcase, an identical suitcase, uh, manufacturer and size and everything. It, well, I mean, it had a couple of little stickers on it that I didn't have. So I went, oh, I should, perhaps I should have spotted that. But it would trouble was people put their suitcase and they move yours along and put yours, uh, there's where yours was. And so you just reach it at the same spot and grab it anyway. Uh, I deprived some poor young lady of her uh, suitcase, and she was heading off uh, to New York for a, uh, a night layover. So uh, if, if anyone around Garden City sees a, a lady walking around naked um, because she hasn't got any clothes with her, uh, then you'll know the reason. So my apologies to Nicola. I have, in fact, uh, emailed her. I have contacted her, and I've uh, swapped the suitcases over. So when she lands uh, at Heathrow uh, this afternoon, she will find her suitcase waiting for her with a letter of apology and uh, a, a few um, sh shekels to cover the costs of buying her some clothing to wear while she was <laughs> in New York. <laughs> Well, that happens a lot. I mean, you know, Dana, you can probably identify with the, the crew bus and they're, you know, what, 30, 40, sometimes more uh, crew members crammed on that bus and uh, all the luggage and everything else. And it's really easy to grab somebody else's bag. Well, not only that, but how many times have you been standing there saying goodbye to the passengers and somebody walks up? Somebody took my bag. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, so many bags look alike unless you, you put something on it like a pink ribbon or something that identifies it like a, my bag has a handle grabber it says new england patriots 
big old red. And who would want, really want to grab that? <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> nobody in Atlanta, that's for sure. <laughs> but so, yeah, it, it, it happens. I mean, it all, it, it happens to the best of us. Yeah. So that must make you the only New England Patriot fan uh, in uh, Acme. Is that right, uh, Dana? Because otherwise there'd be other people with New England Patriots things on their backs. Um. Yeah. No, I don't think so. But yeah, maybe, maybe the one that's only proud enough to stand up. You know, where's the language says Patriots and has it on his bag. And a lot of people, when I get to the hotel, don't you know the hotel shuttle van drivers comment and don't even want to touch my bag because, <laughs> because <laughs> on my handle. <laughs> I love it. I would imagine that uh, you probably don't like to put it underneath the airplane, uh, like with a deadhead tag on it, because you never know where it's going to end up. You know, fun, funny, <laughs> funny, funny enough, you say that because then I pull the the Velcro handle wrap off and stick it in, in the pocket so it doesn't end up someplace ah, else. Very smart. Very yes, smart. I've thought, of, I've thought about that. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Anyways, there we go. Yeah. So um, as I mentioned, uh, the the week before uh, we had just returned from uh, Pittsburgh and uh, Dr. Stuff and well, Dana, I think uh, was still recovering from his cruise uh, adventure and uh, Dr. Stuff. I was just starting off. Were you? No, I mean, the week, I mean, the week after the uh, Pittsburgh thing, uh, we went ahead. Yes. My uh, liver transplant was last Monday. Your what? Liver transplant? Liver transplant. Oh, okay. Because $44 a day is what I paid for all you can drink. Oh, boy. And they yes. uh, they lost money on that, I bet. They sure did, because they drank Stoli Elite, which is one of the vodkas they had on the ship, on the rock, stubble every single time with a slice of orange the entire week. Uh, I could just see. I'm, I'm surprised you didn't fall off that ship. <laughs> good, thing I had, good thing I had a enclosed room. No yeah. balcony. Um, so anyway, uh, the point of this is that, uh, we decided instead of doing episode 272, uh, in our normal method, we uh, decided that we'd use the extravaganza, the live, what do we call that? The APG wings over Pittsburgh live 2017 extravaganza or something. I, I think I got some of those backwards, but <laughs> yes. we decided to put that out as episode 272. I hope you all didn't mind, but it was a great time. We had a, a fantastic recording along with other uh, aviation podcasters, uh, the uh, the airplane geeks and plane talking UK guys. And uh, we had a we had a blast. Another nugget eating contest where um, uh, the previous year in, in Farnborough, uh, last year, uh, Dr. Steph won by one nugget. And this year, Captain Al was up for the rematch, and he uh, came out uh, came out victorious uh, this year. So if you haven't already done so, you should check out episode 272, which was that live extravaganza that we had Saturday night at Pittsburgh. And we had a grand Yeah, grand and I, I thought Al was a gentleman, but not anymore. <laughs> he was playing to win yep so uh so here we are we're on episode 273 trying to get back into our normal groove and uh we're, we're getting there um but uh, as i mentioned i uh went on a four-day trip this week but before i left on my trip i got an email from tom wachowski who was the host of the private jet podcast and he uh, let me know that he was in the Atlanta area for a few days. Um, he is based in uh, Saginaw, Michigan, and uh, his company uh, just purchased two brand spanking new uh, Falcon 2000 LXS or something like that, or XLS. I'm not sure the letters there, but a very, very nice 
uh, business jet, and he had one of them down here. Uh, he was taking some of his bosses down to the international airport here in Atlanta, and they were heading overseas. And uh, he was just hanging out and said, hey, if you're around, let's get together. So on Monday, I think it was Monday or was it Sunday? One of those days, <laughs> I think, uh, went down to, I think it was Monday, well, it doesn't matter, went down to the uh, airport and uh, picked him up at the Renaissance Concourse, which is right there at the uh, airport. It's a wonderful aviation geek plane spotter hotel, which is right on the uh, uh, north of the North Complex runways. And uh, we uh, drove over to Signature Aviation, where the uh, beautiful airplane was parked. And we, uh, I got a grand tour of this beautiful, beautiful airplane. And uh, afterwards, we went over to the Pit Boss Barbecue, which is on Virginia Avenue on the north side in Atlanta, uh, a very good barbecue joint. And I had a microphone with me. And now I do apologize, a little bit overmodulated. So Nev, give me a break. I know he's going to critique this because uh, I wasn't monitoring my levels very well. And uh, so you'll you'll hear that here in this uh, in this recording that we uh, did at Pit Bus. Hey, folks. It is uh, one of my days off. I go out on a trip uh, tomorrow, a four-day trip, and I got an email from somebody. Uh, I think many of you have heard of Tom, Tom Wachowski. Uh, he's a fellow podcaster, fellow pilot, and uh, he does the. He's the host of the Private Jet podcast and blog. I guess you do some blogging as well. And uh, so he sent me an email. And said, "Hey, I'm going to be in Atlanta for a few days, uh, flying this brand new Falcon 2000." Okay, and uh, he said, uh, if, you're, if you're available, let's get together. And so I said, let's do lunch. So uh, here is Tom Wachowski, uh, corporate pilot extraordinaire. <laughs> I don't know about the extraordinaire part, but uh, no, very nice to come down and see you, Jeff. I appreciate uh, you coming out. We had a great lunch uh, of barbecue here uh, that actually was in the top five for sure, maybe top three best barbecues i've had here in atlanta and uh enjoy watching the acme air show out of my hotel room uh, while i'm down here that's been fun and uh just generally great i think last time we got together was in flint uh fnt and that was i want to say winter of 15 so it's been a while uh, but still following the show and Captain Nick and uh, everybody else that you've got as your crew now. And uh, just great to see you. Great to see you as well. Um, so he's staying at this hotel uh, on the north side of the Atlanta International Airport. And it has a great view of the uh, two sixes I guess they're using today. And uh, it's kind of fun watching them take off and land. And uh, so this place that he's talking about is right here on the north side of the Atlanta airport. It's called, it used to be called the Flying Pig. I think it was a different owner at the time. Now it's called the Pit Boss uh, Barbecue, and it's really, really good. This is the second time I've been here, and it's really outstanding. Um, so uh, we're just uh, talking aviation, and uh, I'm learning uh, a, a lot more about uh, the corporate world of flying. Oh, before we came here, though, Tom took me out, uh, and he had the keys to this uh, brand new, I mean, like 150 hours, you say? Uh, like, I mean, literally, it's like stepping into a, a brand spanking new car, Has still has that new airplane smell, and uh, he gave me a full tour of this really, really nice airplane. Yeah, that's, uh, I was happy to show that to you, because I know that's a totally different world than the 88, but uh, no, very lucky with this new airplane, it's a blast, it's a Falcon 2000 LXS, uh, a lot of new stuff that the 88 doesn't have, 
but anybody uh, that flies that could plug right in in no time. Super fun playing. Yeah, all I saw, folks, is just a bunch of blank screens because he didn't have the battery connected. <laughs> but uh, it's, yeah, like these huge, How are, are those? Uh, 14 by 14, I think. 14-inch, um, yeah, they look huge, like big laptop screens, four of them. Nice. Yeah, it's a, uh, it runs a Honeywell, uh, what they call Epic Platform, and has uh, been branded by Falcon as the Easy 2 platform. So that's kind of their latest and greatest. Uh, I mean, all the newer Falcon jets, uh, whether it's a 2000 or a 900 or a 7X or an 8X, uh, they all run that same platform. And unfortunately, what's really weird is you still got to go get different type ratings for all those things, even though it looks the same up front. But, uh, yeah, that's what, unfortunately, I wasn't able to turn on for you, but maybe next time on a uh, day trip I'll have it all fired up. That'd be great. Uh, so, yeah, really slick airplane. Uh, beautiful cabin. Um, you know, this ultra primo um, interior for all the, the big wigs that uh, Tom carries around. And then, of course, that front end, that front office is just amazing. And uh, We're very lucky. And, you know, the point I always try to make to folks, too, is that, you know, everybody sees these business jets and they go, oh, fancy, you know, perk. No, no, these are tools. You know, we definitely... Uh, in my role, these assets are, they leverage time and they are essentially force multipliers to get more done in a day, which equates to more value for shareholders. So it's real interesting when you, when you break down how you use a business jet. If you use it correctly, uh, it may cost you X, but it brings back, you know, X, two, three, sometimes 10 times in value. And uh, that, that's kind of what we talk about, yeah, the world I like to talk about. Yeah, so his show talks about that. Yeah kind of stuff all the time um so again check out tom's private jet podcast and uh, he's also uh, sometimes co-host of uh, carl valeri's uh, airline careers podcast yeah. as well yep join carl sometimes to just talk about uh the corporate side of the career so basically tom's the expert in corporate aviation <laughs> um he i mean uh, you were just kind of mentioning a little bit about or alluding to the the amount of money that they spend um, in your world on airplanes and you know how much it costs to operate one of these things per hour and everything else but as you said when you take a several steps back and you look at the big picture it just makes sense for these big right. companies to operate these very very expensive flight departments yeah you're buying time and uh, you know that's really the one thing you can't get back one of my favorite sayings uh, from Warren Buffett is how can you be on the same page if you're not in the same room and that's what the jet allows people to do. And it's funny because in my world, it's much more transparent. But even in your world, what's an MD-88 cost per hour? I have no idea. <laughs> right? But we fill those seats and we justify that cost because time is valuable to those passengers. So same thing, just different scale. Yeah, I, I, sometimes I wonder, you know, I, I see how much fuel we're burning and how many passengers we're carrying. And I'm thinking, how does this all work? But I guess... You know, economies of scale and all that kind of stuff. It just may obviously it it's working because the last few years we've been just making amazing profits. I think that's a you know there, there's many factors in that equation, but I mean that's a testament to guys like you who are being conscious of how your decisions up front affect the bottom line and balancing that with safety. And then, you know when you got the right people in the right seats, you get results like you're talking about. Exactly. Well, it's been a pleasure. Uh, meeting with Tom today, the barbecue was awesome, and uh, the company was even better. So, again, make sure that you check it out, check out his podcast. It'll be in the show notes. Anyway, uh, that was a great time uh, had by uh, Tom and myself at the Pit Boss Barbecue on Virginia Avenue. And, uh, Tom, if you're listening, I really enjoyed our time together and that uh, 
beautiful uh, tour of that beautiful airplane and uh, hope your flight back to Michigan was uh, was a good one. And I look forward to uh, spending some time up in uh, north of Flint and having some good barbecue with you up there. That sounded like a great uh, time you had, Jeff, in a super sounding airplane. By the way, I forgot to mention, I met up with David, David Abbey at uh, Leo's Tavern in uh, Garden City. So uh, we had a shared a few beers and some uh, nachos, which was not a sounds as good as you guys had, but nice all the same. Well, excellent. I'm glad that yeah, I, I met up with uh, Dave Abbey well a couple of years ago now, I think, at a, a very short period of time over at the courtyard by Marriott, uh, right across the street from LaGuardia. Uh, he came in and uh, he lived. I think he lives pretty close by to there. And uh, we had a, a nice little uh, dinner. But uh, uh, anyway, so I'm glad you guys were able to get together. So are you having a uh, any big meetups in New York anytime soon, Captain Nick? Well, we're hoping uh, that you will come over and join us on the 5th of June. Now, what do you reckon the chances are? Well, right now, uh, look pretty good. Uh, I leave on, that's Monday, I leave on a trip on Wednesday. So that gives me a, a day buffer that I can uh, get back home on Tuesday and then be home in time for the early sign in on Wednesday. So right now it looks good. Well, that's excellent because uh, um, we're actually, uh, I've got a two night New York. Uh, so we'll be there on the 5th. If you could join us, that'd be great. I'll be guaranteed to be there. Um, I'll be over at uh, the um, Oh, what's it called? New Yorker. I'm trying to think what chain that is now. Um, slips my mind. Doesn't really matter. It's uh, just opposite uh, Penn Street Station. So uh, that's a good spot. We could find somewhere nice to go out and uh, have a meal in the evening. And I know Halal's trying to, uh, uh, well, he's going to be there. And maybe Captain Jeff uh, Jr. Uh, might be there. I'm not too sure, but uh, we'll certainly get some people across, I'm sure. So if anyone wants to come find us, that's fine. And if I'm still kicking around on the evening of the 6th, I have some standby, uh, which I'm vulnerable for, uh, just covering the possibility of a bin liner uh, breaking and then putting an Airbus on a flight uh, on the 6th, and I either would then have to rock up to the airport and fly the Airbus home. So I'm on call for a couple of hours in the afternoon. But again, the evening of Tuesday, the 6th of June, uh, we I could do the same again for anyone that's still kicking around or misses the 5th. So uh, we're sort of coordinating that on um, Slack, if anyone is interested. Excellent. And uh, you'll hear how to uh, join us on Slack uh, at the end of the show. Hillel will come in for a special um, whatever <laughs> instruction on how to do that at the end he's, of the show. He's hiding in the toilet at the moment. Isn't yeah, he? he's just in the other room. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Speaking of just in the other room, in the chat room, uh, we have Jen Niffer, who uh, is the uh, host, uh, the author of a fantastic blog called Tales from the Terminal. Just wanted to mention her latest, well, I think it's her latest uh, blog regarding uh, Wings Over Avgeeks, the uh, time that she had over uh, in Pittsburgh. And uh, I really enjoyed reading that. Thank you, Jen, for, for doing that. That really brought back a lot of memories. And uh, I think that uh, everybody should head over to TalesFromTheTerminal.com and, and uh, read that. And you'll uh, enjoy that, I'm sure including some beautiful photography. I think some of these are from 
the uh, the camera of Captain Nick, aren't they? Or maybe not. I don't know. But uh, yeah, uh, um, Jen was kind enough to use one of mine. But I think the best picture there by far is actually the one that uh, Doctor Steph took. Oh, well, that's right. She used her um, iPhone. Exactly right. That came out fantastically. That's uh, Hillel and uh, Stephen Ivy, uh, and they're sort of moving their aircraft from the display line out uh, to where they can start up and taxi, and they're just going past the C5 Galaxy. The sky looks uh, fantastic. So that is an absolutely stunning picture. Really brilliant. Yes, it is. Uh, let's see. The other thing I wanted to mention before we move on to the news and the uh, coffee fund is uh, our website uh, webmaster um, is uh, Arash, and he uh, is doing a, a special bike ride coming up in July, and he wanted to mention this to the APG community. So uh, Arash is, uh, let's see, I'm going to read this here, uh, support my ride to conquer cancer. I'm seeking your support in my third Enbridge ride to conquer cancer, a two-day, 250-kilometer cycling journey, which benefits the Seagal Cancer Center at the Jewish General Hospital in Montreal. As part of my commitment to this cause, I need to raise a minimum of $2,500 before July 2017. Your contribution is welcome. Funds raised in the Enbridge Ride to Conquer Cancer will support breakthrough research, exemplary teaching, and compassionate care at the Jewish General Hospital. He says, my personal story, I am that family member or friend who needed support through my cancer treatment. Here I am today, a survivor of Hodgkin's. After finishing my treatments, I took on a new approach to life and even more active lifestyle than before. By the time the ride takes place, I will have successfully completed 14 marathons, 10 full and four half, and will continue to keep my body strong through numerous healthy activities. The ride will be a challenge in a number of ways, but with my bike, my helmet, and your generosity, a real impact will be made. I want to thank you in advance for your support and wish me luck on my 250-kilometer journey for the fight. And again, that's uh, our webmaster and APG community member for quite some time now, Arash Mahin. And uh, so there you go. So if that's you're a great story. Yep. And uh, we'll have a link to this so you can contribute if you'd like. We'll have that in the show notes. All right. Excellent. Let's continue then with, unless you guys have anything else to say before we start the uh, coffee fund and the news. I do. Okay. Dana. I want to uh, comment on one thing. And that was uh, when I was on my cruise, I had the unique opportunity in St. Martin to go to the uh, right at the end of the runway. It's very famous. Everybody has seen photos and videos at Mayho Bay. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, until you're actually there to experience it, it's uh, a completely, you you cannot understand how awesome it is. It's just really uh, an incredible experience. And I'm very fortunate to have had that opportunity to spend a day watching aircraft uh, land. And then, of course, uh, stand right behind the fence and get sandblasted as they take off with the thrust. And uh, one of the really unique things of the day was they had a C5 coming in and doing touch and goes. Came around four times. It was oh, nice. just awesome. I have video and uh, photographs. I just haven't had the chance to to edit them uh, on my computer. Of course, I don't want to carry this brick around. But once I get to it, uh, I'll probably share that with the community to, to show uh 
show some of those photos. It was just an intensely awesome day. Well, James Balch was down there. Even the, yeah, my Jeff said, yeah, so where's Dana? Where did Dana? Here it go. Sandblasted right off. Yeah, it's gone. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, Yeah, so while you guys are enjoying APG up there in in Pittsburgh, I was on the beach in Maho Bay watching uh, aircraft take off and land at Princess Juliana Airport. It was awesome. Brilliant. Yeah, about a week or two before that, James Balch of uh, the APG community was down there as well. He he keeps trying to convince us that that's where we need to do an APG meetup sometime in the future. I would absolutely 100% agree with him. I mean, that's there's that uh, bar, you know, it's right next to the, you know the beach. We could sit there drinking some really cold uh coladas or beers or ipas whatever you guys want to do and watch these aircraft coming in out it's just it's a sight to be seen it you just can't can't even just words can't even describe how awesome it is excellent all right well with that i think now we'll talk quickly about the coffee fund johnny how much more coffee no thanks Okay, the Coffee Fund is your way to contribute to the show in a financial manner. And if you have the resources to do so, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. And by the way, this is the Java Jive sung by the Ink Spots, recorded in 1940. Public domain. Not that that makes any difference. So, the uh, couple different ways to contribute via the Coffee Fund. And we have the Coffee Fund Classic Method, which is basically a PayPal donation, either an individual one-time donation or a recurring donation. And since the last show, we've had several people. By the way, before I mention these folks, I would like to also thank those who gave us contributions right before uh, Wings Over Pittsburgh to be used specifically for beer and whatever at the uh, at the event. And... I'd like to let you know that that money was used for sure. <laughs> we had a great time. So uh, thank you for that uh, those special contributions for Wings Over Pittsburgh. But since the last show, we've had a donation from Ivan Silvera, Chris Randall, uh, Liam Cross, Ross Windsor, and Steve Trumbell. And... The other way to contribute is via Patreon. You can become a patron of the show and contribute a certain amount of money uh, per episode. And we have various levels that you can uh, contribute. And since the last show, we have uh, five, one, two, three, four, five new producers. Those are Gregory um, Matthias, Brad Paybody, Tony Smith, Andrew Bulis. Oh, and one who said, uh, you don't need to mention me. I'm not really a new uh, contributor, so okay, I won't. <laughs> you know who you are, who I'm talking about. But uh, anyway, that's a great way to become part of the Coffee Fund Cadre. Again, information about how you may contribute to the show at airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. Drop a nickel in the pot, Joe. I take them a slow Wait a wait a percolator. I love coffee. I love coffee. Stand by for news.
As we mentioned at the beginning of the show, there is some breaking news right now at Heathrow. British Airways is having some computer issues and uh, they have a major IT system failure that is causing a very severe disruption to their flight operations worldwide. And uh, they have canceled all flights uh, out of Heathrow and Gatwick until 1800 British Standard Time because of the computer problems. And I can imagine that Heathrow and Gatwick would not be the place you'd want to be, especially if you had a ticket on British Airways. Oh, I quite agree, Jeff. Uh, very luckily, Terminal 5, which is uh, a BA's uh, hub there, is a long way away from us at Terminal 3. So <laughs> hopefully all the people at Terminal 3 will be very happy because uh, Acme Red and uh, the other airlines that work at a T3 are, are completely unaffected. I suspect we'll be getting a, a lot of new customers <laughs> who might uh, previously have gone with Big Bird Airlines and and now I want to try Acme Red for the first time because we can get them there without any computer issues. Um, looks like a serious problem. Um, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because there have been a significant number of uh, attacks on major computer systems uh, throughout the world. Uh, and I'm wondering if actually this was an internal crash of their system or an external attack. I'd, I'd be interested to know. I don't, don't suppose we'll find out. Well, you know, Acme Airlines have had a couple problems in uh, the past year uh, with uh, computer systems, one in August of last year, which was a very major one. And uh, they claim that the culprit was just some bad, you know, switchers and, you know, hardware uh, systems and not a, a very thorough backup plan. Yeah, it was a major plan. power outage. Yeah, Yours, I think it was a. It? I think so. Yeah, so when the, the backup power didn't, uh, for some reason, didn't kick in properly. Exactly. But um, yeah. I'm wondering how many of these things, you know, when when they when the company blames it on, and and I believe, you know, Acme when it, when, you know, the reason for that one. But I'm wondering about how many of these are actually like successful hacks by people that are purposely trying to disrupt airline operations. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah, holding them to ransom. Well, it seems to be uh, a modern form of, uh, you know, burglary. Instead of coming into your house and stealing, you, you're they're stealing your data or locking you out of your own computer systems and demanding a ransom. So I suppose a, a very modern form of kidnapping. Uh, from that point of view, uh, it re seems to be reasonably successful because a, a lot of um, systems uh, are based on very old technology and, uh, you know, something that's been built up over quite a few decades, um, like uh, an airline booking system. Um, you know, it, it takes a huge expense to build a brand new system that is uh, hack proof. Uh, and it's often just patched over and patched over over the years. Uh, so it, it might well be the case, but I am speculating. Uh, one of the things we always say we shouldn't do. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard not to, isn't it? <laughs> uh, exactly. I, I mean, I'm in total agreement. I, I believe even, even uh, Acme, over here uh, in and uh, United uh, American uh, are very susceptible to being hacked, um, and I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, conspiracy is uh, conspiracy theory is probably a, a good way of saying things in in regards to this. I, I think uh, they're going to hide the truth in a lot of respects. They don't want the truth to be out there. So if something truly did happen and i thought that would was true of acme you know you say that you believe them but 
you know, who's not, who's to say that it wasn't somebody attacking that caused the fire or, you know, or caused a problem that really, you know, got to, caused uh, the ultimate uh, demise of the system or maybe BA got hacked. I mean, it's 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 very prevalent and, and there's a very active threat in the world today uh, via the Internet. And, and that's a really good thing. Uh, one way, you know, it allows us to do the show and communicate. Another way, it's it's an avenue for people that have ill will for other other people to create harm, and I think that's continuing to happen. Yeah, yeah. Captain Al in the in the chat room is saying that uh, he, as we all know, works for Royal Jets. He says their Windows three point one system is state of the art. <laughs> I, I can truly Hackers. believe that. <laughs> but uh, I, I think uh, on an industry like ours, which is so based on technology, confidence. Uh, the customer confidence in the state of the technology of an airline is very important. And to admit that your computer system, even though it has very little to do with uh, the technology uh, of an aircraft, uh, the passenger might see it in the same mind in that if they can't keep their computers running, how are they going to keep their airplanes flying? Right. Although when you're, when you're looking at computer systems that run reservations and fuel flight planning and all the other aspects of uh, uh, automation that uh, airlines are using, um, I think that uh, you, that's different from the computer systems that are on board airplanes, A cars, etc. Somebody in the chat room had said, you know, what are what are the chances of somebody hacking A cars? And you know, they have proven that that is possible because it's, I believe, unless they fixed this, is. Uh, is not uh what do they call it uh encrypted encrypted thank you um no. but uh all the, but you you always have the human in there to you know if you get a new flight plan loaded up via a cars you know the pilots have to hit the execute button after looking at everything and if everything looks normal then you hit the execute if it something looks like it doesn't you know it's not right then they will not execute the uh the command or the the new flight plan if if you're if your technology allows for something like that. Now, the airplane that I fly, uh, we, we can't do that. We can't upload flight plans to our flight management system via the ACAR system. We have to do everything manually. So if, uh, if something is wrong with that, it's because of uh, pilot error, not because of somebody trying to hack our system. But uh, Oh, by the way, I <laughs> flew the other day from uh, Orlando up to John F. Kennedy International in an airplane that did not have an operable ACARS system. Talking about a blast from the past. I mean, I used to fly <laughs> 727s around like that all the time. And so you don't realize how much uh, convenience that gives us until you don't have it. And so, like, you know, pulling up the ATIS for John F. Kennedy when you're sitting in Orlando, well, you can't do that. Uh, you're you're out of range of the uh, of the radio uh you know, frequency and you can look at the weather and kind of guess, but you know, as you know, Captain Nick going into John F. Kennedy international, you can't really look at the winds and say, Oh, I'm sure they're using <laughs> runway four left and four right because it's You're quite right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a toss of the dice when you go into JFK. Right. And, and then of course the automatic uh, system that uh, blocks you out of the gate, it, it records your, your liftoff and your whole, you know, uh, timing of your flight is based on, you know, your liftoff time plus the flying time. And then your on time and your in time, all those things uh, are normally taken care of by this ACARS system. And uh, when you don't have an ACARS, uh, then you have to like write down, okay, we blocked out it, blah, blah, blah. And then you have to call them in to the company and they have to enter them and into the computer system. So it's, it's interesting uh, without it. But on the other hand, 
one of the nice thing was nice things was that uh, the last few days here in the U.S., especially the eastern U.S., we've had a lot of turbulence. And our company uses something called Turbulence Plots, where our meteorology meteorology uh, department sends out these um, these alerts when it comes to thunderstorms and turbulence and everything. And with uh, the air ACARS equipped uh, airplanes, we were getting these turbulence plot notifications. Like every, it seems like every five minutes is like, oh, come on, you know, leave us alone. It's like the thing is chiming, you know, off the hook. And so it was kind of a nice flight up to New York that day that we didn't have an ACAR system because we didn't have all those uh, ACARS chimes going off and warning us of all the all the bad rides and everything else uh, in our future. So anyway, yeah, sorry, I sorry mean, to uh, sidetracked. For us on long haul, it used to be a nightmare without ACARS or pre-ACARS days because getting weather is uh, usually required to uh, listen to a volumet frequency off on an HF. Uh, mm. And, uh, you know, you used to have looked at a table and find the airfield you want and then find out that their, their um, broadcast was going to come around uh, at like 27 minutes past every hour and they were going to be like number 11 in the queue of airfields so you'd have to get onto the hf find the right frequency and then listen and then they'd start coming around and after about five or ten minutes your airfield would come down and if just at that moment the cabin crew went and were like, oh, Captain, would you like another cup of tea uh, that was all very welcome but they oh no i won't be able to get that weather for another hour now oh, those days are long gone with acars thank god yes yes uh looks like we lost dana dana's no longer with us ah Good luck. Well, Dana, I hope that uh, if you can hear us, if you can hear us, sir. I hope it gets better soon. <laughs> yeah. Or do you think it's terminal? It might be. Um, I don't know. It could be a hack. Maybe somebody in the chat room was hacking his uh, computer. <laughs> yeah, what do you think? Right. <laughs> no, that'll be the Russians or the Chinese. Oh, it could be the Russians. Anyone. Yeah. Could be. Uh, oh, looks like he's coming back. Okay. Good, good, good. Dana. Dana, come in. Hello. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's Neville's see. suggesting that Dana gets a Mac, apparently. I think it's actually, well, he does have an, I, I think it's an older one, though, that he's using. Well, I know that that's one of the, one of the uh, laptops he has available to him. But he needs to get a new one, right? I think yeah, that, that's the excuse necessary for him to spend some dough on a, a new MacBook yeah, Pro. Definitely. Definitely. By the way, how, how uh, is your, Pro. Oh, there you go. Okay. He's back. Hello, mate. The next bit of news. Uh, this is actually a lot of people say, well, you know, this is really not news, but I guess the mainstream media finally got wind of this amazing thing. This amazing thing. Uh, the Dutch King Willem Alexander has revealed he has been a co-pilot on a commercial airliner for the past two decades. The King, who acceded to the throne in 2013, uh, said he's flown as a co-pilot twice twice a month for Dutch carrier KLM for the past 21 years. The King uh, will now start conversion training to fly Boeing 737 passenger jets, having co-piloted the smaller uh, Fokker 70 aircraft. Is that the 70? That's uh, is that a turboprop? I'm not sure what that is. No, I don't think so. Okay, I well, think here. that Fokker was a Messerschmitt. <laughs> 
<laughs> let's <laughs> let's uh let's not talk about those fuckers okay <laughs> exactly right <laughs> uh somebody's going to tell us uh, in the chat room that uh what what this thing is uh very very shortly so. um it just takes some time for them to catch up with us uh but anyway um so he's upgrading to the 737 and they were making uh, a, a big deal of the fact that he was a pilot on these things and uh, he's a he's a first officer so I guess occasionally he'll make announcements but he doesn't ever uh, he always uh, basically uh, makes announcements on behalf of the captain so he never mentions his name which is probably a smart thing to do and uh, I don't know what do you what do you think I think it's cool uh, that uh, somebody in royalty um, wants to, and of course, you know, that's not unusual. Um, a lot of the royal family, right, over there uh, in uh, the UK, um, Captain Nick, have been pilots in uh, various military services. Oh, most certainly. Uh, Andrew uh, served operationally in the Falklands uh, flying helicopter, and um, those guys did a great job, actually. They were there uh, often providing uh, able early warning and uh, trying to decoy um, anti-ship missiles uh, away from the ships towards the helicopters by uh, various uh, electronic countermeasure means, which was a pretty brave thing to do when you've got an exorcist missile hurtling in. And um, William uh, trained as a search and rescue uh, helicopter in the Air Force and uh, even worked for Bristow's uh, for a while. Uh, he then uh, became an air ambulance uh, helicopter pilot, although I believe uh, with the Queen uh, standing down from uh, some of her royal duties and certainly Prince Philip um, retiring from royal duties at the end of this year, uh, William won't probably have time to do a lot of flying, so he will probably just take up uh, full-time, um, I don't know what uh, you can probably describe it, royal duties consist of an awful lot of visiting people and opening hospitals and that sort of thing. But, Doing uh, the royal thing. Exactly. Anyway, uh, the king, uh, Willem Alexander, told um, a, a newspaper that he finds, he, finds, he finds flying simply fantastic. I really wanted to continue as a guest pilot for KLM, and therefore it would actually only be on a plane such as the 737, which means short trips. Any bigger aircraft than the 737 always means staying overnight, meaning I cannot get back in time to the Netherlands in case of an emergency. So looks like he's going to be starting the conversion training at the end of this month. So I think that was kind of cool. Uh, that's definitely pro-aviation, especially when you have, you know, Carlos, uh, when I come into the chat room, says, uh, you know, we have royalty uh, in the chat room. Uh, this is actually real royalty uh, in aviation, which is very cool. This is an interesting thing. I saw this on uh, Twitter. Um, and I'm not sure exactly, maybe somebody can, um, maybe one of you knows more about this, but this is from the Snowbirds on their, uh, their Twitter account, I believe, or maybe it may have been Facebook, one of the social media sites, uh, they tweeted or Facebooked, uh, we have decided to undertake additional practice and training from our home base at 15 wing moose jaw before returning to our 2017 scheduled air performance season. While we have had several well-executed shows and practices early in the season, our team lead has determined that additional training is required. 
A reduced training period hampered by poor weather, which continued into the show season, resulted in numerous canceled practices. As a result, more training is required before the Snowbirds resume the 2017 schedule, said Major Patrick Gobeil. Uh, Snowbirds team lead. We've canceled our participation in some upcoming air shows and intend to return to the air show circuit once we have the consistency required for our Dynamic 9 aircraft aerobatic performance. The Snowbirds thank the air show organizers for their understanding and all our fans for their continued encouraging messages. So interesting. Something must have been going on during practices and performances that concerned the the commander, the lead of the uh, aerobatic team, and uh, and this is a good example of uh, you know using good judgment and seeing that if we don't do something right now and uh, you know take a look at safety and everything else, this might be a, a major catastrophe in the making. Absolutely, I'm taking a look at their uh, Canadian Royal Canadian Air Force uh, website. I see no mention of it on there, hmm. but uh, oh, I think you're right, Jeff. If they, uh, it's a tough thing to cancel uh, during the middle of a display season uh, but uh, if they haven't been getting the practice they need because of weather then it's the only sensible option so i take my hand off to them yeah yeah that's uh it's a hard thing to do you know we talk about that all the time on the show you know when you're in a situation where your approach maybe is not as stabilized as you'd like and it's very difficult to make that decision to uh, to go around and if i were a good podcaster i would have my go around soundbite ready to go like this you can always go around there we go um so i just thought that that was interesting i hope i'm hoping that that wasn't a um somebody spoofing the uh snowbirds but i think uh according to liz that uh, that that is confirmed that they decided to go ahead and uh you know slow things down a little bit maybe cancel some performances until they are feeling that the uh demonstration team can operate safely oh you know we talked about this on a previous show uh the uh, challenger jet out over the indian ocean uh traveling in one direction the emirates a380 super jumbo in the other only separated by 1000 feet of altitude and the uh, wake caught the challenger and uh in this update they show some pictures of the interior of the aircraft, and it is a mess, including um, all kinds of blood-stained seats, etc. A lot of injuries on this flight, and uh, they also have some great um, metrics here as far as flight data recorder um, readings of airspeeds and uh, bank angles and descent rates, uh, etc. From the uh, Challenger six hundred four, and uh, yeah, it. Uh, the, the thing I found really interesting was the fact that uh, the uh, the pilots were both strapped in, which, you know, we we have to be when we're sitting in a control seat. But they also had their um, lap, you know, the crotch straps uh, also connected as well, which is a, a good thing, I think, in this case, because uh, even if they, if they just had the, the seat, you know, the lap belt um, uh, connected, uh, they may have been possibly thrown out of the seat or not able to uh, recover the airplane uh, i don't know that's just uh conjecture on my part but um anyway the uh, uh they experienced quite a ride um a lot of g-forces uh, yeah I'm, I'm looking at that jeff from if i'm reading this right a vertical acceleration 
of uh, uh, nearly minus three and a half G. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. That's serious. That's serious. I mean, no airline is uh, well stressed in the negative sense. Most of no. them only go to minus one or minus one and a half to get to minus three and a half and still ha- have an intact airplane. It's damn good going. Yeah, that's what's surprising me. I'm reading the same thing too, and I'm surprised the aircraft actually survived. Yeah, like seeing this. Yeah. Now, they, when they did an inspection, when they got on the ground, you know, it looked like everything was intact. It wasn't like buckled panels and you know, bent parts on the airplane. But uh, Bombardier said that because it exceeded the design um, G forces, acceleration forces, they said basically that's it's done. You know, the airplane will never fly again. It's scrap. Yeah. So um, anyway, a lot I of discussion. So I still, we still don't really know what the crew uh, did and whether they. Um, now I'm not going to say they contributed, but w- w- uh, whether it was all down to the turbulence generated by the 380. Yeah, I mean, obviously that was a catalyst for the whole event, um, but not yeah. sure exactly uh, as far as control inputs are concerned. Uh, but just looking at you know some of these uh, flight data recorder readouts, um, it appears that um, they. Uh, from what I can tell, anyway, uh, that they didn't contribute yeah. to the uh, the recovery. No. Uh, I, I mean, I just came to my mind uh, the A three hundred out of JFK not long after nine eleven that uh, uh, where the guy threw yeah. in a bit of weight turbulence and then uh, uh, through a combination of um, uh, training and uh, mishandling managed to rip his own vertical stabilizer off. That was a tragic accident. Yeah, it was, uh, and that uh, was. In uh, due in part to some training that American Airlines uh, pilots were receiving prior to that, um, as far as recovering from un, uh, unusual attitudes and and upsets, and uh, Captain Jeff, our captain uh, in the chat room, might be able to uh, uh, give us a little bit more information about that. But it was well, my understanding we used to get that str- that same training video, uh, yeah. Jeff, in my so, airline. And and I think that when when this whole thing occurred, Airbus said, "What? What? What are you teaching? You can't do that. Or, you know, we're not the rudder is not designed to you know handle those kind of forces." And uh, yeah, that's uh, that was a tragic mistake there. I think that if they had just used ailerons only, and maybe just a little bit of rudder input, but mostly ailerons, they probably could have recovered. You know, who knows? But. Um, by by doing those excessive rudder inputs, almost full rudder uh, from one direction to another, it basically broke the tail off. Which is, you need to have a tail on an airplane, just uh, from an expert's point of view. Yeah. Um, speaking, it, it, it helps. It helps it a lot. It does help. Yeah. 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 Um, th- uh, did you guys see this um, uh, private jet crash, Lear thirty five A, coming into? Teterboro, which um, is just north of Newark and uh, just across the Hudson River from uh, Manhattan. Uh, Teterboro is a a very popular place for executive jets to uh, operate in the uh, New York area. Uh, Learjet was uh, coming in to Teterboro from Philadelphia International uh, with two pilots aboard, no uh, passengers. And uh, Teterboro at the time was using, uh, because of very, very strong winds out of the north, uh, the approach in use was coming in from the southwest, heading to the northeast, uh, 06, runway 6. And then the procedure was to break it off at a certain point, do a circling maneuver to align with runway 1. And 
So this uh, accident aircraft was coming in and uh, Tower uh, expressed some concern about the fact that they really hadn't started their circling maneuver or their turn to uh, you know, align with a different runway. And the reason I think that, and I talked with uh, uh, Tom Wachowski about this, uh, he said that this is not uncommon at Teterboro when the winds are uh, from a certain direction at a certain velocity, pretty high winds that day, because as I mentioned, Teterboro is just, what, 11 miles to the south. And uh, in, in this case, I'm sure that Teterboro, I mean, uh, Newark was operating to the north and the departure flow of traffic is such that they have to maneuver around the traffic coming into Teterboro. So the way, because these airports are so close to each other, they have to have this very odd type of approach into Teterboro uh, to, you know, keep, you know, the traffic apart from the international big airline airport to the south and then Teterboro, the uh, smaller jets to the north. And he said that uh, that's not an unusual approach into Teterboro and it's not um, it's not an easy approach into the airport. And I have a little bit of a audio that uh, I'd like to play um, from Tower and the uh, accident aircraft, if, if you uh, don't mind. We're going to be a jet aviation for two Delta Alpha, clear to land one. Are you going to start that turn? Yes, sir. We're doing it right now. Four six Delta Alpha. Tower, uh, your jet just crashed. To uh, go around. And there's more to that little bit of tape, but uh, there you go. They were coming in. Uh, the tower asked if they're going to make that turn, and then you hear somebody else say that uh, that Learjet just crashed. Um, the accident re preliminary report from uh, the Aviation Safety Network website uh, says that the normal point that uh, airplanes uh, stop or start their circling maneuver is usually right around the final approach fix, which is about 3.8 nautical miles from the approach end of runway six. And the accident aircraft, this Lear 35, uh, did not start their turn until they were like inside of a mile, I think. Let's see. Um, one one mile. mile. It was less than one mile from the approach end before they started their uh, maneuver. Now you're going from zero six to zero one. Uh, that's fifty degrees of uh, angular difference between the approach paths of those two runways. And I can tell you that you know when you wait that far uh, before initiating a circling maneuver, you're going to be using some pretty excessive uh, bank angles and probably acceleration forces to keep from overshooting uh, the other runway. Again, uh, combine that with very, very strong gusty winds and the fact that this airplane does not have, as far as I know, auto throttle systems. So I think what may have happened here is just a classic um, maneuvering close in and exceeding uh, performance parameters on the airplane and perhaps maybe losing track of speed uh, during your uh, maneuvering. And it's, it looks like it was just a classic uh, stall and crash. What do you yeah. guys think? Yeah, I think so. Uh, exactly. My first thought was. Well, the maneuver seems to have mimicked so many other aircraft that uh, stalled in the final turn as they were 
mm. back on speed, setting up for an approach. It seems, yeah, it seems the most likely explanation, Jeff. Um, <clears throat> we'll probably come out of this a bit later, but it's always surprised me. One of the things that is missing from the flight deck of most civil aircraft is an angle of attack indicator. Do you guys, you know, feel the same? I do. I having do. flown, I agree. having flown an airplane, yeah. uh, I've only. I think, yeah, I've only flown one airplane that had an angle of deck system or indication system, uh, and that was a T-38. And it was very critical on that airplane, especially uh, when you're doing final turns, because you were just always right on the edge of flying and stalling when in a very high performance, very tiny little wing on that airplane. And it was uh, something that was very helpful, and I think that all airplanes should have angle of attack indications now you know it's they have the technology there i mean because many of the systems that we're using on these airplanes are using the information angle of attack information but it's not always presented to the pilots yeah that's just the point i was going to make i mean the information is there we just want to gauge and why they think that that we might misuse it or i don't know why why the possible justification for not giving the pilots all the possible information available to and for those who don't quite realize the significance uh, when you've got an angle of attack indicator you can see uh the air, the wing the aircraft's uh um angle of the fuselage relative to the airflow you can see it approaching the critical angle which is the point at which you'll then stall the wing after if you keep pressing um you can see it approaching there and, and it's an instant reminder that you've got to back off uh, and uh, you know keep the wing producing lift and not exceed that point it's just i don't understand yeah well and especially especially on a corporate airplane that has you know like a learjet it's really designed for high speed lamina flow. So you're gonna, you know, we get into low speed realm unless you add an additive for, for maneuvering speed like we do at Acme. Uh, you know, when when you're let's say coming down the river visual in DC, you always add add uh, you know uh, it's ten, I think it's five or no, it's five knots above your above your uh, ref speed for maneuvering. You roll that out as soon as you you know you're no longer maneuvering. So that's something that I don't think. Yeah, you know these guys may have put in, you know, taken an account so low to the ground, and and uh, you know without that angle of attack sensor, you you really can't get a sense of how close you are to stalling, especially in a high performance airplane. Although yeah, unless I, unless you had that angle of attack indicator, like it was on the T thirty eight, I don't know what it what it is now, but because the, they've modified the instrumentation on the T thirty eight, but this thing was like right on the top of the um, of the panel, and to to look outside at anything that was in your field of vision, like straight ahead. And it had, it was a very simple thing. It was just lights, a green light, a yellow light, a red light. Um, and I believe if I'm, you know, it's been a while since I've seen that display, but um, you couldn't not see it uh, when the angle of attack system was operable. And as Jeff, uh, Captain Jeff says, he, he says, nice thing for him is that it, there were all, uh, all the military aircraft that he flew, he flew fighters in the military. Uh, they all were equipped with angle of attack indicators. And now the airplane he flies, 737, actually has it as well. But I think that's the only airliner that I know of out there that has any kind of an angle of attack system installed. And now, uh, Neville makes a good point that the uh, Concorde had a very, very large and very uh, conspicuous one as well. And again, high performance aircraft, you know, you, you really need that, but it's the true indication of your performance. And no matter what your attitude is, I mean, you could be upside down and 60 degrees nose high, and you could still have 
a decent angle of attack or a safe angle of attack. Of course, that would not be comfortable for passengers in the back, but um, <laughs> but that gives you a true reference of to you know what the wing is seeing, and the wing doesn't care what you know where the airplane is, whether it's upside down or pointed straight down or straight up. What it's looking at is what you know the relative wind is to mm-hmm. to it and the lift that it's creating, etc. So. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys have experienced this. I have a few times in my career where the airplane just doesn't, you know, it says that your airplane is this weight and, and the way it's behaving is like, I think we're heavier than it says, you know, we're not getting the performance that I'm used to seeing at this weight. If, if you had an angle of attack gauge, it would let you know that this is, you know, this is your actual performance. Yeah. Well, you know, <clears throat> the fast slow indicator on aircraft our aircraft kind of uses that information um and you tend to you know we brief the uh speeds off the card but the the actual fast slow indicators can give you a much better in, in indication of what you're actually weigh or or what the aircraft's actually doing on our aircraft in particular but uh you know the FAA says, I think it's during this, they changed the weights after the Charlotte crash of the uh, Beach 1900. Um, I think it's now during the summertime, an average weight is 185 pounds, if I remember correctly, and 190 during the wintertime, counting for heavy clothing. Or I think um, we use 200 for the winter weights. And it, it, I'm throwing away because I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but it, it's somewhere in that range, you know, 190, 200. But you know, look at most Americans. I mean, I can, I can tell you and be rest assured, I am not 200 pounds, nowhere near it. So you take the average weight throughout the aircraft, and I can almost guarantee you that more, like more than likely, all of our aircraft are much heavier than we think they are. Um. Captain Al says that uh, the Airbus is very good at showing your true weight. And uh, so what does he mean by that, Captain Nick? No idea. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that bathroom scale is very good at showing your true weight, Captain Al. Yeah, that's true. Mine just says get off. (laughs) (laughs) You're hurting me. Perhaps he has funny mirrors where uh, it makes him look like a short fat man. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> you're pudgy you're pudgy get off <laughs> you main shouldn't man, have had that extra drink last night our main man micah says my doctor usually gives me my true weight <laughs> <laughs> oh boy okay so um anyway we'll uh you know we'll we'll keep our eyes and ears open for uh, more reports on this crash but it certainly does look like it's just a, a, a classic uh got a little bit slow uh geeing up the airplane a little bit banking too much and then uh, that uh, Learjet does not have a big wing, and uh, it's a very fast airplane, very high-performance wing. And uh, it looks like uh, it just exceeded the limitations of that thing, and it uh, stalled yeah, and crashed. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, is, is how benign its stall characteristics were, because uh, some aircraft are very quick to stall and give you very little uh, physical warning. So uh, and once you're in it, it takes a long time to recover. That was one of the interesting things about that uh, that brand new Falcon 2000. Um, Tom was showing me, and he was explaining the uh, the system on it with the uh, full um, uh, wing slats on the uh, uh, in the entire wing of this new model, uh, where they've been up with the um, the folks uh, from the Bombardier, uh, not Bombard, no Dassault, Dassault um, corporation that makes the falcon oh, japanese oh okay yeah. Dassault. yeah Dassault. how do you say that i think it's D- Dassault. 
I think that's I think that's what he said. It looks French. like Dassault, but of course that's not the way you pronounce it if you're French. I need Dassault. <laughs> I was going to say take a big mouthful of coffee and try to say it, and that'll probably be about right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he said that they they take you up and they they show you the uh, the the stall characteristics, and he said with that with this uh, the, once it gets to a certain angle of attack. Uh, these uh, these slats automatically extend, and he said you're in like a, a stall, but you're still able to control the airplane, turn the airplane, and you don't. It, it's not like the wing drops and the nose drops or anything. He said it's kind of crazy. So, uh, but it sounds uh, like a, a beautiful system as far as avoiding stalls. Uh, well, that that's point. an important point, Jeff. You mentioned slats. That's something that that the Learjet does not have. Mm -hmm. It's strictly a flap wing. So yeah. It's, it's a very clean a, wing. Very, very clean wing. I mean, that aircraft can get up into the mid forties, doing you know, uh, you know, point nine zero. So it's uh, or upper eight point eight zero, somewhere around there. But anyways, I know it can go up into the into the mid forties at least. So you get that aircraft low and slow. I bet you it doesn't have very good saw performance. Nope. Nope. Okay. Uh, and then finally, no, not finally, um, second to last news item here. I don't, you know, I didn't really hear much about this. I, I forgot exactly where I saw this report, um, but uh, it's one of the many uh, news sources that I scan during the week. And uh, I think this may have been on the liveatc.net um, blog or uh, forum, but uh, an American Airlines flight, maybe uh, Captain Jeff might know something about this um flight 2405 was going from miami to i think one of the bahamian islands or perhaps bermuda i'm not sure uh was departing and uh, i think it was a uh, one of the caribbean islands that is and they were contacted by air traffic control with an unusual query and let's listen to the audio on this very interesting American 2405, Twelve thousand American uh, twenty four oh five. Uh, right now, can you spell the name and do you know the seat number? The Delta Alpha Zulu India November Alpha Whiskey Oscar Lima Sierra Echo Dezina Wolsey. Right one eight zero American twenty four oh five. American twenty four zero five. They think she may be kidnapped. Uh, she has. She's on the phone whispering, and somebody's uh, trying to take the phone away from her. Don't have the seat number. Okay, copy that. 405, American 2405. Yeah, the 110,000. American 2405, turning 270, to American 
They are on the flight. Affirmative. Roger. Flighting uh, 300, descending to 8,000. 300 down to 8 for American 2405. American 2405, expect the IRS 9. American 2405, reduce speed to 210. Do you need more uh, more time to uh, burn some fuel, American 2405? Okay, just keep your state to the end. American 2405, when you have your gate, uh, let me know what it is. Back 1182, change runway to 8 left, expect a visual approach 8 left now, cancel the approach planners, just flying heading 060 and maintain 3000. Mike, repeat 13000 for 153 Charles And Miami approach, American 2405 is 8000, I mean we're uh, 9000 to 8000. American 2405, expect the ILS 9. We'll expect the ILS 9, so we are having to declare an emergency only because we are overweight. American 2405, roger. We will need um, police officers to make the flight. And to uh, burn some fuel, American 2405? Uh, negative, American 2405. Okay, just keep your speed at 250. Say again? Just keep your speed at 250. Uh, we're good, we're good. American 2405, flying 310. 310, American 2405. American 2405, when you have your gate, uh, let me know what it is. Uh, Roger, American 2405. Four. Yeah, 4590 uh, for emergency traffic, change runway, expect runway uh, 8 left now, be a visual approach 8 left, and a altitude maintain 4000. Okay, we're going to 4000, we'll put 8 left in the box, break yard 4590. 1182, change runway to 8 left, expect the visual approach 8 left now, cancel the approach planners, just fly heading 060 and maintain 3000. Okay, 060 heading 3000, American 1182. Crew 2405. Okay, anyway, uh, it continues and they land uh, safely and they uh, get to the gate. And yeah, I didn't really see anything in the news. I did some research last night to see if this happened on the 10th of May and um, thought, well, maybe there is something on the internet uh, talking about this uh, attempted kidnapping uh, slash human trafficking, it sounds like, uh, which is a big problem that we have these days. Uh, and it sounds to me like this person uh, perhaps made a call to 911 before the airplane took off, uh, or perhaps shortly after takeoff when the uh, cell phone was still in range of the uh, cell phone towers. Uh, but, uh, and, and it's interesting though, that they started off by saying that this passenger was overdosing, uh, but then 
it somehow changed uh, character to a possible kidnapping. And uh, I'm looking at some of the comments in the chat room and uh, Jeff said that he hadn't heard about this and, and uh, apparently nobody has. And again, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how I stumbled upon this, but I thought, wow, you'd think that something like this would have gotten more coverage by the uh, mainstream media. National coverage. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, And you can tell, you can hear in the, in the voice of the uh, pilot, how, you know, any, anytime anything happens that are, that you're not expecting, it can, it can shake you up. And uh, especially when you have a passenger that could be in, you know, in in a a very, very bad way on your airplane, it could be upsetting. And you can almost hear that in her voice, Uh, maybe a combination of the uh, of the shock that, wait a minute, we're not going to whatever island they were heading to. We're we're coming back in. Now we have to start thinking about, you know, the weight of the airplane, overweight landing, uh, coordinating with the company, seeing if this passenger is, you know, okay in the back, et cetera. So a lot of confusion at first. And uh, I just thought it was kind of one of those real life dramas that uh, is interesting to uh, to listen to. Well, I, I find it quite unusual because uh, if the only uh, indication is the a phone call, uh, how do they guarantee it's from someone on board? Um, it, it, there are lots of questions I'd be asking if mm-hmm. I was the captain here, uh, you know. Um, it, but I suppose the safest option is always to put the airplane on the ground, although overweight is not necessarily the ideal thing. You can, you know, that, that is effectively an emergency approach now for something that didn't seem to be very um, definite information. Yeah. But it was interesting well, how... Her, the tone of her voice changes when I, I guess they finally realize, I guess, from the cabin crew that this person actually is on board. And, yeah, we do have a situation going on. You know, you could right. it, it, she gets very serious and almost like she's not trying almost <laughs> not wanting to make a transmission regarding this on the radio. Um, it's it's interesting the, the tone of how it changes. And then we will need, you know, law enforcement to to meet us at the gate. So uh, apparently something yeah. was really happening back there. Yeah. Now, um, and, and even, even, even so, uh, Captain Nick, you know, if you have any type of uh, reported uh, threat or uh, anything that m- mentions a specific flight number, no matter how serious or not serious it sounds, uh, you have to treat it as a serious threat. So um, in, in, you may not view that, you know, as, as a threat that somebody's calling from the aircraft and it may or may not be a hoax, but still it's that specific flight number. And as soon as you mention a specific flight and date, then uh, you have to view it as, as, as a true uh, instance, regardless whether it is or not. Well, uh, our company takes slightly different policy there because we have a team of threat analysis uh, analysts that will look at various situations and they'll uh, assemble very quickly. And if there is an unusual situation, they will uh, aid the captain in making a decision as to whether it is considered a spurious threat or not. This was a, I would say this was time critical. Though. I mean, they just taken off from Miami, you know, that they're, they're just climbing out. So I don't think there was really a time to, you know, we have the same ability. We have a, a corporate security desk in the OCC that would uh, go ahead and address such a, a thing. And, and it's called a, uh, a security threat team um, that would be convened to, to, to an, analyze any type of threat to an aircraft. Um, but I don't think in this case there was time was on their side. 
I mean, it's a very compact amount of time. So, uh, you know, it's ultimately the captain's decision. And I think he made, in this case, you know, definitely made the right decision. I've had yeah, not questioning the captain's decision. Yeah, I, I, uh, we, yeah, we have the very similar thing, Captain Nick, uh, where we have you know corporate security that I've had uh, two separate occasions, um, quite some time ago uh, on previous airplanes, uh, got received calls from our corporate uh, during the flight and said, you know, there were bomb threats basically, and so, you know, talking with the crew about you know the situation and then talking with the corporate folks and whether they regarded the uh the threat as a serious threat or or a uh, a hoax um you know you take all that in consideration and then you make the decision uh, you know you give input to the captain and the captain makes the final decision and in both of those cases we uh ended up continuing the flight landing safely and never heard a thing about it so uh, I, I imagine that they probably get a lot of these kind of things, uh, you know, and they have to really do some accurate analysis regarding whether or not they think this is a real thing or not. And apparently uh, the American Airlines uh, folks decided that this was a real deal. And, uh, you know, they I guess they made the right decision. Yeah. Good. Cool. Yep. All right. And then uh, finally, we have some uh, bit of news for our flight simmers. Uh, Captain Nick, you want to tackle this one? Well, it was just something that uh, Airbus came up with, saying that they have officially licensed uh, uh, an Airbus brand and image in the com- and put it out in the computer simulation market. So uh, they're taking steps to work more closely with the computer gaming industry. Now, this will be um, you know, a great joy to a lot of uh, flight simmers because uh, uh, the great majority of uh, airlines and, and aircraft manufacturers, uh, they don't uh, demean themselves in inverted commas to uh, concern themselves about uh, um, you know, flight simulation software, but it appears that Airbus are taking it much more seriously and they're um, encouraging the development of flight entertainment simulations, games, apps, add-ons, uh, whilst ensuring the best use of the brand and image. So they're basically saying, I think, uh, if uh, you want it, uh, we're going to provide it and um, hopefully they will uh, be able to liaise with developers of flight simulation uh, software uh, to produce an Airbus officially licensed product, uh, which will therefore uh, presumably be uh, hopefully more accurate since Airbus will undoubtedly provide more information um, than you can glean from third-party uh, providers. So that uh, sounds quite interesting from their point of view. Now, I'll tell you one of those things that I guess, you know, the, the big uh, aircraft manufacturers, Airbus, Boeing, like to buy uh, various companies that have aviation-related products. And in this case, as you mentioned, the, the simulator world, um, one of the things that Airbus has uh, purchased and put its name on is a piece of crap. <laughs> <And that's Yeah. laughs> the, uh, the, the uh, what is it called? Preferential bidding system, right, Dana? PBS? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it's a big uh, a big fail there. <laughs> yep. Anyway, mm-hmm. and then like uh, Jeppesen was purchased by Boeing. So anytime you have a uh, you open up your Jeppesen uh, Flight Deck Pro app or any of the products there, you know Boeing has their. I guess they're they're trying to uh, put out as many little feelers as they can out uh, in the in the world of aviation and. You know, uh, not just put all their eggs in one basket or something. I guess there must be a reason for 
doing this kind of thing. But I think this is really cool, as you mentioned, Captain Nick, uh, them uh, officially, you know, making some input into the uh, PC simulation world. That's pretty cool. Well, we know how seriously flight simmers, uh, certainly the major Mm -hmm. enthusiasts, take the modeling. They really want their uh, flight simmers to be modeled as perfectly as they can possibly be so they get a full experience. And if uh, Airbus are aiding with that, then, you know, it sounds great. It's pretty amazing. I've seen some uh, amazing uh, models out there, uh, including the MD-80, and uh, it's <laughs> it's pretty incredible oh, how yeah. it all works. I, I, I love the little uh, little wrinkled old pilot in the front. That was, <laughs> yeah, that's that was yeah, very <laughs> accurate. <laughs> uh, shut up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and his bald first officer. <laughs> that's you enough know. from Captain Nick. <laughs> it's now time for the best part of the show, which, of course, is your feedback. All righty. Uh, let's start with Larry. Remember Larry uh, sent in, the uh, geezer, uh, some information about a paper that was written about uh, shimmy. In fact, we uh, entitled that episode, uh, Do the Shimmy Shimmy. And uh, you'll also remember that uh, our, our the great Dr. Steph uh, did a wonderful job of reading excerpts from that, uh, from that paper. <laughs> that was a fun show. Yeah. Um, yeah, really good job. Fantastic. Yes. Job. I'd like to hear, hear her do that again, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, he writes. A few IPAs first. <laughs> yeah. uh, he says, Captain Jeff, Dr. Steph didn't really need to apologize to me about the article on landing gear shimmy. But just to make it a little easier on her, I've attached an article published in the Boeing magazine Arrow from their third quarter 2013. No Nyquist diagrams, but some good pictures and a sketch that should be easier to comprehend. Talons, Douglas. <laughs> he says, P.S. Have you considered a subgroup of the APG community? I've heard quite a few references to APGers lately. How about something for us older members? We could be the APG geezers or the AP geezers. <laughs> I like that. I guess I'd be uh, one of the AP geezers. Uh, you'd be the founding father. I would. I'd be the or head AP geezer. <laughs> so, anyway, he uh, again sent us a uh, link. Uh, to a PDF document entitled Shimmy for Steph (laughs) and uh, preventing main landing gear shimmy events. And uh, we're not going to read it here. Uh, I'm not even going to make an attempt to read anything. Well, I've got half a bottle of whiskey here. I could drink it (laughs) and then try and read it. We'll come back. We'll come back to uh, (laughs) Captain Nick after he's had some whiskey. (laughs) Anyway, so thank you, Larry. We'll put the uh, link to that uh, PDF in the show notes. Uh, let's see. Oh, you know what? Um, Nev, I have to say a a huge shout out to Neville Bounds. He was amazing at the Wings Over Pittsburgh air show as he was at the Farnborough air show in uh, coordinating for audio and video equipment and working the huge audio uh, uh, board and uh, doing all kinds of things behind behind the scenes, like, you know, picking up the equipment from the, uh, the outfit from which we rented the equipment and setting it up. In fact, he even had a, a major injury on his thumb. How, I wonder how that is healing. Hopefully that's yeah, healing up. Well, um, uh, now well, we're just calling him four fingers now. Yeah. He, uh, kind of lost some of his thumb, I think, uh, setting up a <laughs> PA speaker. That can of, be called Goldfinger now. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, and I'm hoping that the, I'm hoping that the lawsuit uh, against the uh, APG Coffee Fund has been dropped. We're still in negotiations <laughs> with our uh, various attorneys. Um, uh, 
Anyway, yeah. uh, so no, it really a big thank you to Nev. He does so much for the APG community and and other uh, aviation podcast communities out there. And uh, we just wanted to make sure that you understood that we really appreciate you and all the work that you do, mostly uh, behind the scenes. One of the things he did, by the way, on Friday, um, we uh, the PTUK guys uh, did their live um broadcast uh, of their show in the afternoon in the courtyard of the courtyard by Marriott. How appropriate. And then after that, the uh, APG crew, uh, everybody except Dana and Rick, uh, we uh, took over and uh, did our show, episode 271, which is, by the way, a great show. We had had some really serious discussions about uh, some serious issues, and uh, I I thought that was fantastic. It was really nice having having that live audience for a recording of the show. But um, after all that, uh, everybody was high on aviation podcasting geekdom, and uh, people were getting hungry, and uh, we thought, you know, this is a good time to maybe head over to the Permani Brothers um, uh, establishment, uh, a Pittsburgh icon of food and sandwiches and that kind of thing. And uh, he took along his recorder and recorded some interviews. And I've broken this up into three separate interviews because uh, the whole thing runs about 37 minutes. And so let's play the first one. And this is going to bring back memories for those of you who were able to join us uh, live at Pittsburgh. And uh, so let's let's start off. Well, hi there. It's Nev uh, here. And uh, here we are at Primanti Brothers. Pretty full house tonight, actually. And uh, all the uh, all the podcasting fraternity are here. And uh, talking to me at the moment is uh, Liz Piper. Hello, Liz. Hi, everybody. We had an epic day today. Got together with a bunch of folks for breakfast, which was great. Met a bunch of new folks. Some more folks arrived. Am I using folks enough? And then it turned out, Nev and I went and picked up a whole load of great uh, AV equipment. And then we had back-to-back, outdoor, in rather chilly temperatures, podcasts. So Carlos and Matt did their Plane Talking UK followed by a fantastic APG with uh, Nick, Steph, and Jeff, Nev on the uh, soundboard, and Matt managing the video, and it was just great fun. I'm glad I brought a jacket with me. It was so cold this afternoon, wasn't it? It was, it was cold. I even went in and got a pair of gloves for Steph because I just felt so sorry for her up there. But anyway, it was fun. Excellent. And sitting next to Liz is someone that I've never met before either. It's uh, John Brown. Hello, John. Hello. Uh, nice to meet all these wonderful people. So I was able to uh, participate in the uh, APG Traveling Frigid Roadshow. Uh, a lot of fun uh, in the patio at the hotel. And as usual, the uh, dynamic uh, interplay with all the uh, uh, hosts and uh guest was uh, a lot of fun and uh, I think our uh, chat room folks uh, enjoyed equally well with the uh, amazing AV uh, production by Nav and company so uh, a great start to a great weekend. And how did you get involved in uh, listening to these podcasts uh, John? This was uh, my way of uh, passing time while doing my uh, private pilot uh, training Uh, the airport uh, was an hour and a half away, so it was a great way to uh, start passing the time in a useful way. And I uh, came across the APG just by chance, and uh, it's uh, since become my favorite because of the way it's evolved and developed and has now uh, uh, embraced this huge community of people worldwide. So 
quite a phenomenon and uh, going from strength to strength. Now you live in Canada, but I detect a Glasgow accent there. How long have you lived here for? I've lived uh, for 8,000 years in Canada. No, about 40 years. In order to speak to the natives, I had to adopt their ways. Uh, a lot of my brogue has been uh, surreptitiously uh, submerged, so it, it doesn't uh, come out to the fore, except for those people who can tell those giveaway oot and a boot and other such phrases. But I've been in Canada for a long time, love it, and uh, I'm exploring the, uh, the great North American continent uh, with my own wings. Uh, I flew down today from uh, north of Toronto, and I'm enjoying the exploration uh, in my own aircraft at this rather late part of my life, but it's uh, a joy and an exciting uh, adventure, so uh, this is just another part of it. Superb. How long have you been a GA pilot for? Uh, I started about seven years ago. I uh, progressed through a series of aircraft, little ones and bigger ones, and my current plane is a very comfortable long-range uh, plane made in France. Uh, Sakata Trinidad, so I've had that for two years, putting a lot of time on it, and uh, it's uh, carpe diem, just get it done while you can do it. So uh, enjoying it uh, greatly and uh, enjoying the challenge intellectually, as well as trying to become as professional as I can, and listen to the APG and the inside story from uh, these folks is actually very illuminating, and uh, I'm very comfortable and very uh, familiar with the, uh, the air traffic system. It's kind of funny to think of my little self and the, uh, the jumbos coming in with the same controller, but it's a kind of a fun thing to be another blip on the, uh, the controller's screen, so I feel very proud about that to do it professionally. Absolutely superb, John, and what a great pleasure to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. You're welcome. Great to be here. Well, here I am with uh, Jen Niffer, and uh, she is with lots of people. So uh, what sort of day have you had, Jen? I did. Today was fun. The live shows were a good time. Really enjoyed it. It was chilly, but worth it. It's an incredible network that Jeff and the team have developed now, isn't it? People from all around the world uh, with a general interest in aviation, but right, right across the spectrum, really. Yeah, I'm really impressed at how many people have traveled quite long distances to be here. It's my first time meeting you as well, so it's been a great pleasure. Oh, it's been wonderful to meet you. And I mean, with the exception of Jeff, it's my first time meeting everybody. Yeah, superb, great, thanks Jen. Well, here I am with uh, Captain Al, and uh, Al made uh, a lot of contribution to the, uh, the podcast today. Never short of a few words, are you? Apparently not. <laughs> did you enjoy yourself this afternoon? Oh, I did. I had a great time, actually. Yep, yep, it was good fun. It was a bit cold, though, wasn't it? Well, I didn't feel the cold as much until I got into the hotel room and thought, wow, this is positively tropical in here. So, yeah, uh, yeah, it was obviously pretty cold. There were some really interesting subjects brought up this afternoon, weren't there, which I know you feel quite passionately about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got a reasonable passion towards uh, pilots not consuming enough water. Um, that's always close to my heart, having had kidney stones in the past. So, um, yeah, it, it was interesting that that came up in the, in the conversation. And um, unusually, there were some quite grown-up subjects today, so uh, that's a change. Interesting as well, isn't it, to interact with the, with the chat room as well and getting the questions from, from the guys back home? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the chat room's always quite a dynamic environment. Um, slightly abstract, having a large quota of the chat room sat around the same sort of area, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was good. Superb. And uh, more of the same tomorrow, I would imagine. I believe so. Um, yeah, see if we can do better, eh? Excellent. Great to speak to you again, Al. No problems. Good to chat to you.
We're here, I'm with uh, Captain Rick Bell. What sort of day have you had, sir? Yes. <laughs> Sun came up, and then it went down, and now I'm drinking a beer. Is the question too difficult? Yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how to describe that day. <laughs> we didn't break anything, we didn't kill anybody, we didn't bend any metals, so it was a good day, and we got all of our arrivals. We got everybody in. We're supposed to be here. So, yeah, it was a good day. And you're all set for tomorrow? Absolutely. So we had a good show today, and uh, tomorrow we're, uh, we're set. Probably be, weather-wise, we'll be a little bit better than today, so we'll definitely have a low show. Uh, a little bit of rain in the morning, but that's not going to deter us, and it's supposed to clear up and be really nice tomorrow afternoon, so it'll be really good. Well, we're looking forward to it, and thank you very much indeed for inviting us down. Oh, I'm so glad you guys are here. This is awesome. I'm wearing my, my Beatles t-shirt right now, so, you know, representing Jolly Old, so this is going to be a blast. <laughs> Great to speak to you, Rick. Thanks very much. Thanks, Ab. Well, here I am with Plain Talking UK's Carlos Stebbings, and uh, he's talking to Liz Piper at the moment, and it uh, looks like he's had a good day. He's got his camera in his hand as usual. Um, had a good day, Carlos? I've had a fantastic day now. I have to say, it's, uh, I'm sitting here looking at your food, feeling rather hungry. But no, it's been a fantastic day. Just, we were just talking earlier, saying that uh, this, is, this is just so amazing, the fact that we're all here together. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm sitting at a table talking to, to two of our listeners at PTUK, and they, they've been watching us for ages. And it's, it's just that is absolutely, truly amazing to hear that people actually, they do really listen to our show. That, that's what shocks me. They actually listen to our show. So, yes, it's very enjoyable indeed. We've uh, met some fantastic people. And, uh, yeah, what a great day we've had. You know, you couldn't have wished for... The weather's been cold, as, uh, as we all know. It's been chilly, but that doesn't really matter. And it's nice, actually, to sit across from Captain Al and uh, watch him eat. That's uh, one of the highlights, I think. Actually, by Al's standards, that, that's quite a minor sandwich, isn't it, really? But uh, there we go. So uh, what was the highlight of the day for you? What did you enjoy most today? The highlight of today, I suppose, was probably doing a live show from the hotel and having you know, a good handful of listeners and other podcasters watching us do a live show. Because we don't normally have that. You know, It's normally a kitchen studio, my wife Gemma and, uh, and Poppy Cat. So yeah, it's, it was good, it was really good, yeah, yeah. Thoroughly enjoyed it. It's really great, isn't it, to actually meet people in person that people you've only ever seen in the chat room or, or maybe got emails from? I, I'm, I'm thoroughly looking forward to the next, well, the next two days we've got here, obviously, for the air show, Saturday and Sunday. And uh, obviously tomorrow night, the big uh, live show. So that's going to be absolutely fantastic, yeah. I'm thoroughly looking forward to it. Brilliant, Carlos. Good to talk to you again. Thanks ever so much. Yep, cheers, Nev. I'll let you get on with your uh, tacos and green things and, yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, part one of three, and it sure is uh, nice to hear those voices again, and it kind of brings back those uh, memories of uh, a great uh, a great experience at uh, Pramani Brothers. Yeah, and uh, what was their, their famed food? Because I don't think I ate it. Oh, well, it's it's the way they make sandwiches. It's like the Pittsburgh style, and they take... Oh, uh, they crush them, don't they? Yeah, it's, they put it's the... Like your mum's sandwiches that you've been sitting on for the last... Um, you know, three hours. Yeah, but Sorry. why have French fries and coleslaw on the side when you can have it all on the sandwich itself? 
Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, so uh, that's uh, we'll ha- we'll have more to come, but uh, I thought I'd break that up a little bit. Okay, uh, let's see. This is some audio feedback from Chris. Let's hear what he has to say. Hello, Captain Jeff. This is Chris from KSLT calling. I just wanted to leave you some feedback. I was listening to one of the back episodes of APG from about a year ago, and one of your commenters was talking about having done a flight that sounded like it was a flight simulator from San Jose to Honolulu. I have ridden on a number of tri-holers, well, both the tri-holers, I should say, the L-1011 and the 727 from various points along San Francisco and LAX, San Diego, out to and from the uh, Hawaiian Islands, both Honolulu and Kaalui. And I can tell you that it is a bit of a flight and definitely thanks to ETOPS. Nowadays, running a 737 on that flight which I know Alaskan Air does because I wrote on one about a year ago. It is a bit longer, but it's not a lot longer because it does, just because of the, I guess, differences in the designs. But thank you for your show. Love your podcast. Thank you, Chris. I'm not sure exactly what Chris was doing there in the background. <laughs> Sounds like he was at work. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Interesting noises. What do you guys think? Uh, I reckon he was dragging a dead body along behind him. <laughs> it could be. I need to get this thing off the screen, don't I? Uh, let's see. No, no, we like it. You, you like okay, it. You, don't have to lo- you don't have to watch me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm mean, joking. No, you're not. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry. Didn't mean to scare you. Uh, let's see. Continuing on um, with some more audio feedback. This is uh, Jim from Canton, Akron. Take it away, Jim. Hey, Jeff. This is Jim from Akron, Ohio. Hey, I've been a longtime listener and uh, almost since you uh, relaunched the podcast and uh, love the format with the, the multi crew with uh, Nick and Dr. Steph and Dana and Rick, I hope you're back uh, on board someday. I just wanted to call to say thanks to Nick for all those uh, plain tales, and especially the ones with his father, Andy Anderson. Those those were fantastic, and uh, hats off to you, Nick, for recognizing that, that that's something that needed to be shared with uh, everybody. So wish your father the best for us, and uh, thank him for everything he's done for us. And uh, unfortunately, I can't be at Wings over Pittsburgh because uh, my daughter's graduating from college that uh, weekend, but um, we'll catch up with you guys someday. Thanks. All right. Well, uh, thank you for that, Jim. Yeah, I appreciate your uh, kind comments, Jim, and I'll make sure uh, my father uh, hears your feedback. Excellent. You know what? This might be a good time, since he just mentioned Plain Tales, it might be a good time for us to play this week's installment. What do you think? Well, I'll get it in the buff then. Okay. Yeah, we'll allow you a little time to strip down. Here we go. The old pilot's plain tales, the buff. 
I have been looking for a suitable opportunity to tackle the subject of what is without doubt one of the most iconic, long-serving and remarkable military aircraft ever conceived. But after meeting it in person whilst flying the Phantom and more recently at wings over Pittsburgh, a quick glance at this day in aviation gave me the perfect excuse. As I write this, the date is the 21st of May 2017, and I'm looking at an image of Life magazine from back in 1956, which has the face of Major David Critchlow gracing the cover, as he looked out of the open cockpit window of his B-52B Strada Fortress, named Barbara Grace, after both his wife and his mother. He had just completed a mission to drop the second test weapon of Operation Red Wing. The weapon in question was the TX-15X1 two-stage radiation implosion thermonuclear bomb weighing 6,867 pounds, a little over three metric tons. Getting airborne from the Marshall Islands, the crew consisted of four majors, a colonel observing, a lieutenant in charge of timing, and a sergeant who presumably made the tea when he wasn't fixing the radar. This drop was to be a demonstration to the world that the USA could air deliver multi-megaton yield thermonuclear weapons using the B-52 and was the first airdrop on Bikini Atoll. Everything was set up with the instrumentation surrounding the huge target marked on the ground of Namu Island for Mission Red Wing Cherokee to drop its airburst weapon. Amongst those monitoring the test was Airman First Class Jackson Kilgore. This man was about to receive a serious reprimand. Why, you may ask? Well, very unfortunately... Despite the seniority of the personnel involved, the crew, flying in at 50,000 feet, misidentified their targeting beacon for an observation facility on a different island. The bomb missed Namu Island by four miles, detonating at 4,350 feet over the open ocean to the northeast. As a consequence, most of the test data was lost a fact that Airman First Class Kilgore revealed to the world, resulting in some extremely embarrassed Air Force generals and an impressive chastising for the airmen. The B-52, commonly known as the Buff, which starts as Big Ugly Fat and ends with an expletive, started life in the loving hands of a Boeing engineering team, consisting of George Shire, Art Carlson, and Vaughan Blumenthal. They were in Dayton, Ohio, presenting the latest turboprop bomber proposal to the Air Force Chief of Bomber Development. Disappointed with the design, the team were asked if they could come up with a proposal for a four-engine turbojet bomber. By chance, Boeing's Ed Wells and two other top engineers were in town, and over the weekend they worked on what was essentially a new aircraft. The new design was basically a B-47 Stratojet with 35-degree swept wings, 
eight engines paired in four pods and a bicycle undercarriage with the ability to pivot by at least 20 degrees to aid in crosswind landings and outrigger wingtip wheels. With the team working on weight and performance data, Shire rushed out to a hobby shop for materials to build a model, and Wells, also a skilled artist, provided a complete set of aircraft drawings. On Sunday, a stenographer was hired to type out the proposal, and, first thing on Monday morning, the Air Force was presented with a neatly bound, 33-page proposal and a 14-inch scale model. After some design changes, which included a side-by-side cockpit rather than the original tandem seating, Boeing was awarded the contract for 13 B-52As. The YB-52 first flew on the 15th of April 1952, with Tex Johnson as the pilot. Unlike his flying of the Boeing 707 prototype, which included barrel rolling it, Johnson kept things smooth and steady, and the resulting test flights went very well. The Air Force soon upped their order to 282 aircraft. Only a few B-52As were built, all of which were used by Boeing for testing. The contract was updated to a new specification and the next 10 became B-52Bs. On the rollout ceremony in March 1954, the Air Force Chief of Staff said, The long rifle was the great weapon of its day. Today, this B-52 is the long rifle of the air age. For those not familiar with this remarkable leviathan of the air, the Strato Fortress stands over 40 feet tall and nearly 160 feet in length with a span of 185 feet. Its maximum takeoff weight is 488,000 pounds or nearly 220 metric tons. It has a range of well over 7,000 nautical miles and can reach 50,000 feet. It began with a crew of six, the two pilots up front, with the radar bombardier and navigator facing forwards behind and below them. The electronic warfare officer is on the same level as the pilots, but well behind and facing backwards, with the lonely rear gunner initially positioned with his four 0.50 Brownings in the rear of the aircraft. The only man without an ejector seat. Later versions automated these rear guns and moved the relieved gunner to a bang seat next to the Ewo. The Brownings were replaced by the stupendous M61 Vulcan cannon and finally in 1991 the tail gun was removed entirely. Over the next seven years, a multitude of versions were to be built from A to H, and the order increased from the initial 282 airframes to 744, with the last B-52H being delivered in October 1962. The rapid level of modification saw the aircraft transformed in capability, range, power and performance. Its operational roles were expanded to include reconnaissance, heavy loads of conventional bombs, updated avionics, bombing and navigational equipment and external fuel tanks. 
Brett and Whitney J57P43W turbojets were installed and fitted with water injection. Its weapon-carrying capability has been modified throughout its life to encompass the most modern of systems. All in all, the Buff has turned out to be a most flexible war machine, reflected by its remarkably long life. Early in its existence, the Stratofortis had its share of problems. The split-level crew compartment meant that, to keep the pilots cool in direct sunlight, the rear crew, near the ice-cold floor, froze. The fuel system was prone to leaks and freezing, the J-57 engines were unreliable, and an alternator failure caused the first crash. However, it set records too. Four B-52Bs and four Cs flew non-stop around the perimeter of North America, some 13,500 nautical miles, in 31 hours 30 minutes. And then three B-52Bs flew non-stop around the world, 21,145 nautical miles, in 45 hours 19 minutes. For such a blunt aircraft, it even set a world speed record of 519 knots over a closed 2,700 nautical mile circuit. It also set unrefueled distance records of 10,895 nautical miles. Operationally, the aircraft also proved to be a very capable machine. Throughout the Cold War, the B-52 performed airborne patrols loitering at high altitude near the borders of the Soviet Union to provide a rapid first strike or retaliation force. With the advent of accurate high-altitude anti-aircraft missile systems, the Stratofortress proved equally capable of a low-altitude role. During the Vietnam War, B-52s were fitted with external bomb racks, allowing the carrying of 24 750-pound bombs. Later, the internal bomb bay was modified to carry an additional 84 500-pound bombs, increasing the total capacity to 108 bombs. These missions were initially flown from Guam, necessitating a 12-hour round trip. Operating in the hostile environment of North Vietnam gave rise to losses, and in total 31 buffs were lost. However, their tail gunners accounted for three MiG-21 fishbeds. B-52 strikes were also an important part of Operation Desert Storm, when a flight completed a 35-hour mission from Louisiana and back to hit targets in Iraq. This attack opened the coalition offensive, firing 35 cruise missiles and destroying 85 to 95% of their targets. Conventional attacks were also performed by a flight of three, which dropped a total of 459 750-pound bombs in a one-and-a-half square mile area, so demoralizing the Iraqi troops that many immediately surrendered. During the conflict, the B-52s flew 1,620 sorties, delivering 40% of the weapons dropped by the coalition. The only damage done during this conflict was when a harm anti-radiation missile from the coalition's side apparently homed onto a B-52's tailgun radar. 
This jet was subsequently renamed In Harm's Way. This was the incident which led to the removal of the Buff's rear gun. More recent conflicts in Afghanistan have also employed the Stratofortress's flexibility. Its ability to loiter and deliver precision weapons let it be used in the close air support role in addition to conventional bombing. Operation Iraqi Freedom also saw the buff employed delivering cruise missiles. Indeed, it proved to have the highest mission-capable rate of the three heavy bombers available at 80%, whilst the B-1 only achieved 53% and the B-2 30%. Not all of the B-52's missions have proven to be quite so successful, however. In 1961, a B-52G from a base near Goldsboro, North Carolina, was airborne with a pair of Mark 39 nuclear bombs. At around midnight, it hooked up with the tanker to commence air-to-air refueling. During the procedure, the tanker crew spotted a fuel leak from the Stratofrotches' right wing. They aborted the refuel and took up a holding pattern off the coast to burn off fuel before landing. On getting to his holding position, the commander noticed that the leak had worsened, and in the previous three minutes he had lost 17,000 pounds of fuel. He was immediately ordered to return to the Seymour Johnson Air Force Base near Goldsboro. As the pilots descended the aircraft through 10,000 feet on their approach, the uneven weight of the fuel in only one wing became too much to cope with and they lost control. The order to eject was given and most of the crew bailed out successfully, even the third pilot who had to manually climb out of a hatch. Unfortunately, two died in the crash. When they abandoned the aircraft, it was still intact, but it broke apart before impact, releasing both the nuclear weapons from the bomb bay at about 2,000 feet. The first weapon commenced its arming sequence, with three of the four arming devices activating, including the parachute deployment. When it was found with its parachute gracefully draped over a tree, Lieutenant Jack Ravel, the bomb disposal expert responsible for disarming the device, stated that the arm safe switch was still in the safe position, although it had completed the rest of the arming sequence. The second bomb fell straight to earth at around 700 miles an hour, burying itself in a meadow and disintegrating. Although it too had completed most of its arming sequence, a low-voltage switch had prevented it from fully arming. In 2013, Ravel recalled the moment the second bomb switch was found. Until my death, I will never forget hearing my sergeant say, Lieutenant, we found the arm safe switch. And I said, great. He said, not great. It's on arm. Ravel claimed that we came damn close to a nuclear detonation that would have completely changed much of eastern North Carolina. He also said the size of each bomb was more than 250 times the destructive power of the Hiroshima bomb. 
in a now declassified 1969 report entitled Goldsboro Revisited, written by Parker Jones, a supervisor of nuclear safety at Sandia National Laboratories, said, One simple dynamo technology low-voltage switch stood between the United States and a major catastrophe. Evacuation of the second bomb was abandoned as a result of uncontrollable groundwater flooding. Most of the thermonuclear stage containing uranium and plutonium was left in place, but the pit, or core of the bomb, had been dislodged and was removed. The United States Army Corps of Engineers purchased a 400-feet circular plot of the land over the buried component. A visit to Eureka, a town three miles from the incident, will reveal a commemorative sign titled Nuclear Mishap, which tells how widespread nuclear disaster was averted. The B-52 is not an aircraft that is quietly moving into the historic footnotes. It is an important part of the U.S. Air Force's inventory, and for an aircraft conceived in a weekend, it has been an unrivaled success and a credit to its manufacturer, Boeing. Captain David Swoop Welsh flies the B-52 Stratofortress, as did his father, who flew combat missions in it over Vietnam, and his grandfather, who was trained to drop nuclear bombs from it, in the Cold War. Having started its operational life in 1955, as of 2015, 58 were still in active service with 18 in reserve. The aircraft celebrated 60 years of service with its original operator in 2015, and it's expected to serve into the 2040s. Did you have a chance to do the little tour uh, at uh, Wings Over Pittsburgh of the B-52 on Sunday morning? Yeah, I met um, Lieutenant uh, Streaker. Streak or Streaker, I'm trying to remember that. Streak, Very nice I think. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Who, uh, he showed us around the outside. We were going to go into the flight deck the next day, but uh, I overslept. So <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was that was a bit of a bit of a shame, but uh, what a great aeroplane! I I I just loved it from the first day I intercepted one over the Western Isles, and uh, the fighter controllers told us it had come all the way across in the states. So I went, "Whoa, wow!" And then, of course, you hear about their other feats. Some of those missions they flew in uh, the Gulf War, thirty-five hours flying just to come and. You know, drop a few, well, I say a few. They dropped a whole heap of bombs, but those were big missions. I was uh, that was fascinating. The uh, that story at the end, the, where the uh, all those nuclear warheads were <laughs> dropped from the uh, from the airplane, and and uh, somehow a miracle occurred, and none of them were and um, ignited or whatever. None of them went off. No, I think there are a few stories like that still hidden. Uh, I think uh, the Cold War will, in future, produce a few more remarkable things. There are plenty of tales of of nukes lost in oceans and um, people, you know, dropping them unexpectedly and that sort of thing. So, 
you know, having a couple come out of a broken B fifty two is actually quite small change. I Gentlemen, think. I have to, I have to, I have to take up issue with one comment you made, both of you. Oh, you really? you, yeah, you both said you overslept to go into the cockpit. I, I beg to differ because I wasn't even there, but I'm willing to bet you both hung over. <laughs> ah, well, no, we uh, weren't really doing any drinking at all the night before Saturday night. Well, I have no right. No, I, was I, don't, just, just good. I don't remember anything like that. Do you? Of course no. you don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember anything at all. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to be there to know. Yeah, but still, uh, the fact that the B-52 was basically presented to the Air Force after a weekend of, of design, I thought was fantastic. What a great story for those Boeing engineers to have put the entire proposal together uh, over a weekend, got the whole thing professionally knocked up, and then uh, threw it at the Air Force, and they loved it and took it on board. I thought that was brilliant. Yes, exceptionally so. All right. Well, thank you again for all that hard. I mean, the research must have been uh, uh, difficult to do all that for that uh, uh, installment. Oh, that, that aircraft is almost too much. Uh, yeah. You know, some are easy because there's only a limited source, but there's so much about the B-52. It was great. Great fun there. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, let's see. Let's uh, play the second installment of Nev's interviews at the Primeni Brothers well, here I am, uh, still in the restaurant. Here's a gentleman that's had a lot to say for himself today. Hello, Brian. Hey, Nev. How are you doing? I'm very well. And uh, what do you think of today? Enjoy yourself? No, not at all. There are a bunch of airplane geeks here, and they talked about aviation the entire day. And, oh, my God, drivel, drivel, drivel. Duh. But surely you would be on your element. <laughs> Yeah, it was quite fun, actually. I, so wait, which which podcast are you hoarding yourself? I mean, what podcast are you can edit that out? What podcast are you doing this for today? I, I'm just doing a pool feed, so I'll, I'll sell it to the highest bidder. Oh, I thought it was live, therefore you couldn't edit it. Well, somebody's got to pay for my uh, expensive ticket over here, isn't it? Yeah, there you go. Since you're flying flying on BA and upper class, or not? Wait, what the hell does um, BA call? their business class it's club world sir club world club world yeah i'm sure you're flying on club world so uh, you had an interesting trip in didn't you all all is good now you've got your computer back you've got uh, all your possessions is that right so having flown on united and i hope this blows up in a tweet storm as soon as micah tells me how to sign on to twitter i i can actually make a big deal over this but Yes, United yet again should be in the headlines over my travel experience to get here. However, my boss doesn't know that I actually took today off, so... So that, so that story is embargoed until further notice. It's a double-edged sword, yes. But, but if this happens on Sunday, I'm totally fine. Yeah, so I think we can cover that. Should, should be okay. Anyway, good to talk to you, Brian. And um, so also at this table is uh, Eric. What do you think of all this, uh, Eric? Have you enjo enjoyed it? I'm having the time of my life, seriously. First of all, just to have unstructured time off is, is a privilege. And, um, and I've met so many wonderful people. 
yourself included, and I'm I'm feeling so welcomed in this community and just having a great time and interested in the shows and wonderful food what could, and beer. What could be better? It's a great community, isn't it? Really interesting to meet people from all walks of life. Yeah. It is, and you know, I've been in different worlds, and it's so uh, it's it's really neat to you know you're such a diverse group of people who have this common interest, um, and you know people who are just aviation freaks that aren't from the business, people who've been in different parts of the industry, pilots, and so on, and so there's so much interesting stuff to talk about, both about airplanes and about others parts of life. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And very nice to meet you as well, Eric. Really, really nice. And uh, sitting next to Eric is the main man, Micah. Good evening, Micah. Good evening, Nev. It's so nice to see you. I'm so happy that we have managed to get together twice in less than a year. It's pretty good, isn't it? Actually, just think about it. I'm not sure we can do these these big events uh, more than once a year, to be honest with you, because we'd all be uh, very, very tired. But uh, what, what's been the highlight of the um, uh, last couple of days for you? There have been a great deal of highlights, but I think the two biggest were yesterday when, was it? Yeah, I guess it was yesterday. The day's all mixed together. Uh, Matt came in and uh, sent me a text message that he was here, and I hopped on the van to go meet him at the uh, airport and uh, got off the van and there he was standing there and gave him a great big hug which he wasn't expecting but it was fine and it was just so wonderful to see him with Matt being so fearful of flying and having made it and then an hour later I did the same thing with Carlos who was waiting for me with his arms outstretched and being able to also give him a great big hug seeing both of them arrive from the UK and then the other highlight was when you walked in a few hours later in the evening and seeing you again it's just a reunification of this amazing friendship that's developed and gotten even closer over the past 10 months. It's really interesting, isn't it, that people that have had no connection with each other at all, in fact, if it wasn't for the internet, of course, none of us would have met up at all. Yeah, it's, it's, it's truly unreal. Um, Jennifer Adams, that's who we know as Jen Niffer, uh, was supposed to be in Washington, D.C. last year, and it didn't happen. And she, I had promised, or maybe threatened her, with a hug. And I couldn't deliver it because she got sick and she couldn't come. So I sent it to her in Oshkosh via Hillel. Jennifer and I have never met until today, when she finally got that hug. But we had never met, just like last year with you and I, and we're old friends. And it's there is no way to describe that feeling that we all have. Fantastic, Micah. Thanks very much indeed. And just sitting opposite Micah is one of the technical wizards of the entire event. It's Matt Smith. Well, as, as Micah alluded to, uh, obviously with your slight fear of flying, everybody is seriously impressed that you are here. And how, how do you feel about it now? I, I'm having the, uh, I was just saying to Brian, literally, it's like I've got, I've essentially had him put in front of me the opportunity of a lifetime that that, I mean, there's no way that a fear of flying can can possibly deny you of that, really. You just have to sort of man up and and get over it. But, I mean, as I've said before, I mean, I, 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 there are lots of people who, who, without whose help I wouldn't be here now. Uh, one one is uh, Brian, who's to my, my left here. Uh, Captain Al and his Flight Fear Solutions, who's done loads of counselling and things for me to just try and get, you know, get my head round what is essentially a very irrational fear. Um, again, from my point of view, 
uh, Owen who took me on my test flight sorted me out for a little oh, trip to yeah, yeah Owen took me on a little test flight to Toulouse um, to just sort of see how I got on um, and actually sat with me yeah, and I, I mean like one example we were sat on the uh, we, we were sat on the ground and uh, well, they were sort of busy doing all the pre-flight checks and things for whatever reason Swissport pulled the ground e- APU out like way too early and of course so I'm scared of flying and suddenly all the emergency lights come on and all the buzzers start going off and it goes dark and all this kind of thing and I'm literally I literally grabbed the armrests and went what the hell and of course because Owen is forever flying for Harpjet he's up in the air every 15 seconds you know sort of going from one place of the world to the other and because he said it's all right it's just it's just because they're morons and they pulled it out too soon it's all it's fine just give it a minute and then sure enough everything all spooled up and it was away but it was just yeah, it was. It's been. Um, I, I I almost can't believe I'm here. We've had a couple of good shows today. One for your show, PTUK, and one for APG. And we've got another big event tomorrow night. Well, th- that is the rumor. Yes, absolutely. We've been doing some testing. Yeah, we, 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 I'm not. I won't say what we've got up our sleeve for uh, tomorrow because, well, I suppose I don't know. No, because I don't want to. T- I don't want to spoil the surprise for those that are around me. But uh, although you won't be hearing this till afterwards, um, but uh, yeah, we've been doing some quite techy testing today haven't we to make sure the two shows that we did today was basically all leading up to what we want to do tomorrow so uh, yeah some some exciting things uh, going on hopefully tomorrow which I'm looking forward to getting stuck into but uh, yeah so it's, I think it's sort of similar lines to, to what was done at Farnborough so a nice big panel uh, of sort of fellow podcasters all sat around a nice big table with what sounds like quite a large audience from what it is yes absolutely and uh, but uh, and I just want to say, Matt, thanks ever so much for all you've done today as well. And uh, once again, really enjoyed, really enjoyed working with you. No, no, thank you, Nev. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I've only had two cameras to play with. You've had about 15 microphones and goodness as well. So I've had the easy job, really, just getting it out onto YouTube. So uh, that's what I like about these events. I don't have to talk. I don't have to I just have to sit there and press buttons. It's great. It's great. No, but we're, we're, we're looking le- for... The legend that is Nev. The legend that is NevTech. That's it, you see. And I'm looking very much looking forward to working very closely with NevTech tomorrow. Superb, guys. Great stuff. See you tomorrow. Well, I've moved on to another table now, and uh, there's some familiar faces on, on this table. First of all, at the head of the table, which means he's probably paying the bill, that's Captain Jeff. I think the check's on its way. I was here, I was here, and then Barb came in, and she forced me around the corner here, so yeah, I guess I'm going to have to pay for everything, damn it. Have you enjoyed yourself today? I have enjoyed myself, and, and uh, I've enjoyed being around all these av geeks and APG community members, or we call them APGers. It was a great day today because started off by going to a great breakfast at a place called Exonet, and we uh, got to uh, be serenaded by F-16s and other airplanes making lots of noise and providing like a little air show for us. And then uh, we got back to the hotel, uh, PTUK uh, recorded at two o'clock-ish. And then after they finished up with their show, we uh, did our show, APG uh, 271. And we did it outside in the courtyard, and it was really cold. <laughs> but it was a great show, and great audience participation. And I don't know, I'm just really excited to, to be here with everybody in person. It's such a great thing. Every meetup that happens, the, the bar gets set a little bit higher, doesn't it, as, as well? Well, the bar is always important in the uh, APG community. That's all I can say about that. Because if we didn't have a bar, yeah, it would be a bad thing. 
Absolutely. We, we couldn't live without it. But uh, Jeff, your, your contribution, as always, has been fantastic. And thank you very much for uh, allowing us to be part of your world. Your contribution, Nev, has been amazing. And we couldn't have pulled off this recording today without your audio expertise. And we're counting on more of that tomorrow night. Oh, yes. I mustn't get too drunk tonight because we've got more to do tomorrow. That's right. Yeah, please pace yourself. Fantastic, Jeff. Thanks ever so much. All right, that's uh, part two. Uh, and we have one more to go. Well, I, I told you it's going to be a long show today. Are you guys still there? Who did you tell? Oh, I you told us. Told everybody, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really do want to play this. Uh, this is from, you know, Steve Horn. He does the How I Got Here. Uh, installments audio and this one's a little bit longer one but i think that everybody will really get a kick out of it. it's very entertaining so without further ado we're going to hear from steve and his interview with actually you're not going to hear steve he does this so well you don't even know that he's the man behind the scenes um uh, with his interview with a first officer named boson Orukomini Bosun, Monshi Shefun Akmin Junior, Milu America. This is how I got here. I'm originally from Nigeria, born and raised there. Got interested in aviation at a very, very young age. Uh, my dad was the head of the aviation department just after independence in 1960. So growing up, went around with him, going to the airports, being around airplanes. He wasn't a pilot, but he was responsible for the whole civil aviation department. Went to elementary school, went to high school in Nigeria. Of course, conversation always comes up. What are you going to do when you get out of high school? And I've always said I was going to be a pilot. The British system didn't esteem pilots, particularly when you talk about in the colonies. Then certain professions were esteemed, medicine, engineering, law, accounting. Such were esteemed because they were grooming manpower to take over these colonies. You know, reduce the amount of British officials who were being sent to the colonies and begin to have the locals manning a lot of these posts. And so it influenced how the locals saw these professions. Then, obviously, there was an aviation department, but the aviation department was mostly British personnel both pilots, engineers. The only thing the locals did at that time was flight attendants. And uh, of course, the flight attendants had the posses who were British over them. And that was the way things were in the colonies. At independence, the whole system continued. So I wanted to go to flight school. Interestingly enough, you know, the irony of everything in my dad's opposition is that the aviation college in Nigeria by the United Nations, one of their agencies, UNESCO, approached the Nigerian government trying to help right after independence, you know, what can we help you? Where do you need manpower development? And one of the areas they wanted was in aviation. And uh, my dad was the one who actually pushed for UNESCO to set up an aviation college in Nigeria. And then when he came for his son to go, he was adamantly against it. <laughs> That was the irony because many people, friends of my dad, whose kids wanted to go, they come and see my dad. He gives them advice on how to go about the whole process of getting admission into it. But when it came to mine, he he just shut it down. He was like, no, 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 no. You know, do something with your life. 
So immediately after high school, I didn't go there. So the, the deal was, I was adamant I was going to do this flying. You know, I was ready to sit down home after high school and watch my dad. Of course, my dad wasn't going to just let me sit down home doing nothing. So we reached an agreement whereby it was like, okay, go and get a degree. Go and do something. And I did to sweeten the deal. It was like, oh, you, you know, you go to the U.S. and get a degree. I was like, oh, my God, this is four years of vacation in the U.S. Let's go. You know, so I <laughs> came to the U.S. You know, I went to college out here. I studied business admin, FSCs in uh, accounting. And to me, it was uh, interestingly enough, I didn't find it much of a challenge. But I was actually looking forward to finishing it. And then my dad fulfilling his own part of the bargain, which he actually he did. Well, when I got back, uh, there was a plan to take over government in Nigeria by the military. And the then head of state, the military head of state, the coup plotters decided that the best way to get him was to use the air force, do aerial bombardment on the state house and just kill him there. Apparently, I guess they found out about the plot. This really shook the man because after that, he defunded the Air Force and everything aviation or pertaining to flying. I mean, flights were still flying, you know, uh, airlines were operating in Nigeria, but he did not really encourage it because uh, he still had that fear of these guys coming and killing him. So in defunding the, the, uh, the Air Force, it also affected the aviation college also. And of course, that was about the period I just landed in Nigeria, ready to go start flying. And the, the first clue was that the schools kept on postponing when we were going to start. And after about two years of doing this, I figured, you know, these guys were, something was going on and I began to put two and two together. So I decided I would go do my flight training in South Africa. Of course, in the meantime, I already was about to get married. So that kind of took my focus away for a little bit of time. After marriage, my wife was coming to the US. And so I decided, okay, there was no point in her coming to the US and me going to South Africa. I will just come and do my flight training in the US. So I went to Spartan School of Aeronautics, finished up my training, got my commercial multi-engine instrument. And I was about to start my CFI when a very good friend of mine from Brazil, uh, his wife was secretary to a gentleman who was starting up a charter service in Fort Lauderdale. That we both decided to go talk to the man and see if he was going to hire us as uh, pilots, first officers, flying the Swearinger Merlins. So we went down to Fort Lauderdale, had a meeting with the man and convinced the man we will do the work needed, you know, we will do everything. You should just hire us, we're ready. And uh, he was gracious enough that made us the offer and we were hired. The training was set up for September 10, 2001. About a week before then, the chief pilot called and told me that the gentleman who was going to take us for the ground school had something he had to do. So the training was going to be moved by a week till September 17th, which was fine. I'd already moved from Tulsa. I had a toddler and a newborn who was just barely two months old then. We had moved to Houston on our way to Florida. So we decided to spend time with some family just another one week. And uh, on the morning of September 11th, we saw everything that happened. On Thursday of that week, which was a couple of days later, I called the chief pilot just to confirm Monday was still on. And he told me, he said, let me get back to you. He you know, said, there's a whole lot going on out here. A couple of days later, he calls me back. He tells me, he said, the FBI is all over here. Apparently, some of the hijackers were trained on that airfield. 
and they were harassing all the operators there. I said, okay, not a problem. Waited about a week, called him back again. And then he asked me, he said, uh, hey, by the way, uh, where are you from again? I said, Nigeria. He said, where's your buddy from again? I said, Brazil. He said, oh, no, 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 we're not going to do it. I said, right now, you guys are bad business. Uh, <laughs> sorry, we have to take back our offer. I was totally surprised. I said, why? He said, right now, he said, anything non-US citizen, we don't want to touch. The government is very, 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 very not happy, not enthused about, you know, foreigners right now, even though we're permanent residents of the US. So there goes that opportunity. So I was stuck in Houston with a family. I didn't really know what to do. So uh, the next thing was I need to get a job. Obviously, I mean, in a post-September 11 environment, but 250-hour guy looking for a flying job was not, you know, was not going to fly. So dusted out the good old uh, certificate. I went to go look for work with Citibank. And uh, subsequently after that, I worked with uh, US Bank till early 2007, at which time I was looking for an opportunity to get back into flying again. So in 2007, I found out that a company in Nigeria, Acme Africa, was looking for pilots. They had started operations. They needed very well experienced first officers. Uh, wasn't very much interested until I found out that they were going to give the low time pilots an opportunity. So I applied and I was fortunate enough I got the job. But I was still living in Houston. My family was in Houston, so I had to commute between uh, Houston and Lagos. That was a tough commute. Acme Africa was flying to London, so I had to take Continental from Houston to London and uh, connect just within hours to uh, Lagos. I did that for a total of about four years, and uh, that was very, very, very rough. Uh, rough on a young family, rough on my marriage. I think what kept me going was the various flying we did. We flew within Nigeria, obviously. We flew within West and Central Africa. Also, we used the uh, 73800s on uh, thin routes between certain cities in Nigeria uh, to London and uh, also from Lagos to uh, Johannesburg. On our northbound flights to London, we flew over the Sahara Desert. There were huge swaths of the Sahara whereby we had no communication with any air traffic control uh, facilities. ICAO had set up a procedure a frequency 1269 where everybody made position reports every 20 minutes. Of course, it worked very well when people make the necessary reports, but there were a certain group of individuals from a certain part of Europe who were notorious for never ever making any position reports. The rumors were that they did that so that they don't pay over flying charges over many countries. During our outbound leg going to uh, Europe, we went northbound and most traffic at that time of the day is usually coming from South Africa or the southern part of Africa, Western Africa, and everybody kind of funneled towards Europe. Rarely do you have east-west traffic and they typically did the east-west traffic because they were moving cargoes between certain nations. Usually what you see is on TCAS, they appear, and then you just look out and you see this black smoke because they were flying these very, very old, inefficient airplanes from a certain part of the world. They show up, they had no regard for traffic rules, and you have to be on the lookout for them. You had a lot of traffic, various very, very reputable international airlines from Europe, Lufthansa, Air France, British Airways, uh, you had South African Airways, uh, everybody going up on this flow of uh, north and south flow. Like I said, you know, rarely do we have uh, east-west traffic. So when you see east-west traffic coming, you know it's them. 
on our Lagos to Johannesburg route, we usually left Lagos and uh, we just went out straight over the Atlantic Ocean, straight to uh, Libreville in Gabon, and then we go south to Luanda. And then from Luanda, we start a southeasterly direction towards Johannesburg. Once you leave uh, Luanda, about 200 miles out of Luanda, you were in the real typical heart of Africa, in the jungles. There was no human habitation from there and onwards up until southern Botswana, because uh, most of northern Botswana is uh, also uninhabited. I mean, those were ETOPS operations, and the company decided that they were going to use airfields that were built by the Cubans during the Civil War in Angola. These airfields were pretty much VMC, no night operations, quite long runways, 10, 12,000 foot runways, but we were flying southbound in the middle of the night. So, you know, you sat there and it was like, if anything happens, where are we going? You know, either you're committed to Gabaron, which is about 400 miles ahead, or you're committed to Luanda, another 400 miles behind you, or you're committed to Windhoek in Namibia, which is about another 450 miles away. And I just never could understand why they use those airfields. I mean, I do understand during the day on uh, the northbound section of the flight from Johannesburg to Lagos was a day flight, but the southbound was not night. And uh, these were not adequate or useful alternates or diversion points for us. So those were very, very interesting times. It builds character, so to say. But, uh, You know, all good things come to an end and I had to weigh my enjoying the job and then also the obligations and the, you know, not just financial obligations, but just the emotional and the psychological toll I was having on my family. So I just had to quit and come back to the United States. I was fortunate I got a job with an airline, being based in Houston, flying the Q400. Unfortunately, as soon as I got done with IOE, the company filed for bankruptcy. Stayed with the airline till the very end and rolled over to the uh, parent company. Did training on the CLJ. As soon as we got done with training, I was out on the street. After that, I went to another company based on the East Coast. Nice people, but unfortunately, the environment then was an environment of rancor because uh, contract negotiations had drawn out for almost a decade. Very good people had become very, very bitter, angry, dissatisfied with the company. And it wasn't the kind of environment I was really eager to be in. While all this was going through my mind, I got a call from a buddy who said there was a new company starting in Nigeria. Uh, The Nigerian Civil Aviation Authorities insisted that their initial cadre of pilots had to have X amount of hours on the type of airplanes, which were 737s, that uh, they wanted to fly. So they were desperately looking for people to come in and help start their operations. And I took up that offer and uh, I was back again in Nigeria. Spent uh, almost a year there. Only drawback about the job, it was a well, very well-paying job, was that I only got 30 days vacation a year. And that's all I could use to come and see my family in the U.S. There was no opportunity to commute because they didn't have any interline arrangements. So each time I had to travel, I have to put down about fifteen, sixteen, seventeen hundred dollars to buy a ticket. You know, I couldn't be doing that every week or every other week. It was just totally unaffordable. So I was always there, spend about six months and then come home for two weeks. You know, I was seriously thinking at that point in time of uh, relocating my family to Nigeria. But 
by then my kids are already grown up my son was almost getting into high school myself and my wife decided it wasn't in the best interest to relocate them so i had to leave that job and i'm back again in the u.s and then i went to plateau airlines after coming back it was almost like a sandwich i left a very very bitter rancorous company went to nigeria and came back to a very bitter and rancorous company again I quickly did a double take after about six months and said, no, this is not working out for me. The pay was horrendous. The guys there in the company are good guys, but the atmosphere there was not very, very conducive at all. I found out that I was using all the money I had saved up after flying in Nigeria to subsidize my living here and uh, working for this particular company. And that wasn't working very well. So I decided to just depart from them and then uh, take a job with uh, Acme Junior. Almost a year to this day, I interviewed with Acme Junior. And the interesting thing was that back in 2012, I had interviewed with them at a job fair. I was promised I would be brought over to their headquarters uh, to do the technical portion of the interview, uh, that they were very, very happy with me. I'm still waiting for that invitation. So during the interview last year, I told the interviewers what had happened. And they were dumbfounded that this had happened to me. Well, I'm here in Alchemy Junior now. No complaints. What I've learned so far in my journey through the years is one, flexibility. You have to be flexible. An inflexible person will always have a negative attitude and will find it hard to be able to carry people along and be an effective leader. Another thing I also learned was something I learned through a very, very senior captain in Nigeria by the name of Philip Machunga who always told me, never let people push you around. We get into places, you know, stations and um, the agents are trying to rush us, things like that. And he always tells me, sit down, relax. When you're ready, then we're going to go. He said, when they push you, you tend to miss things. And that is where you begin to box yourself into a corner. And the last one, my dad has a saying, never complain about what you tolerate. So if you're in a situation and you're complaining about it, you're tolerating it. My dad always says, shut up. He doesn't want to hear you. Do you make a change? Then don't talk. Don't, don't complain. So, you know, I've learned if I'm in a situation, I don't like it. I'm not comfortable with this. Then I'm not going to sit down and complain about it. I'm just going to find a way to get up, get out and find the next opportunity or create an opportunity for myself. I've had the opportunity to fly with some really great people. I've met a lot of really great people along the way. And if I was to do it all over again, I wouldn't change a thing. I'm first officer bassoon, and this is how I got here. An example, uh, a buddy of mine recently, I did a flight to the US and um, got back and uh, gave me a call. And he was asking me, he said, why do people ask for ride reports in the US? You know, how are the rides? How are the rides? And I busted out laughing. <laughs> and I told him, I said, hey, you know, that's the way it is in the US. Everybody's looking for, you know, smooth uh, flight levels to fly on. We're so used to, if you're filed for flight level 330, you climb to flight level 330, and you stay in flight level 330. I mean, irrespective of what the turbulence is or what is going on there, you stay on flight level 330. So he found it very, very, very peculiar that, you know, everybody here was asking, well, how are the rights? How are the rights? And he, he, he just couldn't understand that. What are they asking? 
Biden. You know what? What's this about how are the rights? I mean, those are those are the kind of uh, differences you have. If you ask a controller in Africa, how are the rights? I can bet you he's going to pause for about three minutes, turn around, ask everybody in the room, what is this guy saying? And then come back and ask you again, uh, say again. <laughs> oh, man. What a great, uh, what a great story. Uh, what a great storyteller. It's very <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, several people in the chat room say, you got to have him on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It was enjoyable, very enjoyable to listen to. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what What uh, European, notorious European airline was he talking about there, Nick? Do you have any idea that, that uh, are notorious for not, um, not making any uh, radio reports or position reports so they don't have to pay uh, for overflights? I have no <laughs> idea. It must be. Must be some cheap jack outfit. I, I wonder if they're still going. I mean, we've had our, our fair share of problems with um, unidentified aircraft that will just uh, climb without clearances. They won't speak to air traffic. Uh, you really do, as you said, got to have your wits about you in some areas of Africa. Um, and there are an awful lot of whitetails around, so... Uh, um, for those who don't know, of course, an airline will always paint its colors on an aircraft. And um, an aircraft that pitches up like the manufacturer might have made it, just painted white, but actually now very grubby and dirty with its uh, registration in the smallest possible letters. Um, you know, that's a white tail. And uh, it could be run by anybody and it could be doing anything. And, uh, you know, those are the kind of aircraft you sometimes get, uh, you know, or make trouble. And uh, quite often, if they don't like uh, their level, they'll just turn their transponders off and uh, and if you're lucky they'll offset out of the airway and climb and then they'll just slide back in again and turn all their equipment back on as if nothing's happened you know and you go what <laughs> we can't see you what a <laughs> they're not talking you don't know who they are so nothing uh, yeah. to see here nothing to see exactly right <laughs> I'll tell you a few stories. Uh, so, Steve, thank you again for that. Uh, uh, such a great contribution to the show. We really do appreciate it. So, yeah, we'll have to have really Steve on sometime. Ask him how oh, yeah. he does the, all, all this, yeah. you know, because it's a lot of work. He, he actually spent quite a bit of time um, on this interview and trying to cut it down. He said the guy was so such an interesting character that it was really difficult for him to, you know, uh, distill it into something that was under 20 minutes just barely and he was asking if it was okay to uh you know play that length of uh you know feedback on the show and i said absolutely <laughs> yeah. so we have a few nigerians uh in acme red they're, they're usually great characters they are fascinating people to speak to they they have come uh, up the system the hard way oh yeah and uh, they've usually got some great stories just like those brilliant you know and so you you hear all the things that he went through to get to where he is now. And then I, I reflect upon how easy everything was for me, you know, just going into the military and then getting right out and getting hired by a major airline. And that's been it, you know, it's been so I've been uh, really been um, blessed with uh, such an easy career. So really makes me appreciate. Well, I know. feel the same Jeff, uh, you know, almost like we cheated. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about timing really. And I guess, you know, where you're from and, 
you know, the circumstances from which you are, uh, you know, you're growing up and everything else. Uh, man. I think you'd find it very hard pressed for anybody that's at the major levels uh, to not agree completely with what you guys just both said. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's truly uh, one of the best jobs in the world, and, and I feel like I'm living a dream. I mean, it's it's fantastic, and I you know, even I'm a little younger than you guys, I feel very blessed as well to be in the position I am because so many people, including this this uh, show, that uh, would love to be in the position that we're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and doing what we do every day for for a living, it's it's really, truly, uh, truly a great uh, great profession. Well, speak speaking of the position that you're in, Dana, um, we had something at Acme, uh, not too long ago at all. Uh, something we call an advanced entitlement, which means it's an opportunity, either to go backwards and be displaced from an airplane you're flying, or possibly, if times are good, as they are now, a chance for you to move to a different airplane or maybe upgrade to a bigger airplane or whatever. Uh, so this latest advanced entitlement, did you did you have a bid in? And if so, uh, did you get anything? Yes, I did. I had a bid in. I actually talked about it uh, in the last couple of shows, what I was thinking about, and uh well, Nick, do you think I went to the Airbus? Or Jeff, do you think I went to the captain's seat? Oh, always get a captain's seat first. I, you know, I, I think you went to the Airbus. Well, it's quite quite interesting because both of you were exactly opposite of each other. Exactly. And Nick is, is absolutely correct. I oh. have chosen to go ahead and take the upgrade to the lovely uh, Mad Dog. And uh, the Airbus will be my probably my next logical step. Right now, uh, with the company continuing to uh, retire the aircraft before all the senior guys, uh, just the last ones left on the airplane, like Captain Jeff, um, I opted to take the opportunity because the opportunity may not present itself as we move forward to go ahead and upgrade the captain. Well, this deserves a big round of applause. Absolutely. Outstanding. When when is it going to happen, you think? Well, I chose uh, to allow all junior bidders uh, to go ahead and go through training first mm-hmm. to hopefully preserve because my, my primary goal, I, I didn't want to upgrade for uh, the money. I didn't want upgrade to say I was a captain. I didn't want to upgrade uh, for any other reason other than the honor of being able to say I flew the MD-88 and 90 as a captain. So uh, my, my, my primary goal is quality of life. I like having my weekends and holidays off. So it was without uh, without extreme consideration, especially the support of my uh, lovely bride, to uh, say go ahead and do it because uh, I'll be working well exclusively weekends and holidays going forward. So I opted to go uh, after all junior pilots. And as it turns out, there's about 100 additional pilots that will be junior to me uh so they will go through training first and then i'll end up in the left seat after they're there so that'll give me a little more flexibility in bidding my schedule um ultimately i think as of the last bid i'll have about 180 guys junior to me on the airplane in the seat so uh, i don't know when the training is going to be i I suspect uh, with as many people as they have on this latest uh, bid we're looking at at least six to eight months before I go to training, maybe sooner, but I doubt it, um, which preserves my great quality of life. And I have the, uh, have the uh, um, 
advantage of looking forward to becoming a, a captain. So, oh, first time. super. Well, from now on, now we're going to refer to you as, as I did accidentally at the beginning of the show, Captain Dana. Well, well done. I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, it's a dream come true. I mean, uh, you know, you spend your whole entire career looking, uh, you know, your whole life trying to get to the airlines. Then you get to the airlines and it's exciting, exciting time to be finally hired. And now it's, uh, you know, once you get in, it's you look forward to that captain seat. Now here it is. So, yes, Liz, uh, training in Atlanta. And it's only for me because I'm transitioning from the right seat to the left seat. Uh, I think it's either a seven or eight day course. Yeah, that's it's like it. a, it's going to be easy. Yeah. Easy Hopefully. transition. That's, why, that's that's another reason why I did it because, you know, I only have to, uh, I know the airplane very well, obviously. I've been on it a long time. Uh, I know the system that we fly it in for the most part, um, all the places that we go. Uh, so I'm familiar with the operations. I'm familiar with the, the systems of the aircraft. And the only thing I really had to worry about learning would is learning to be a captain. So I, I took that all into account as to uh, the first uh, upgrade as a captain at an airline, you have to have a what's called a Fed ride. And so the Federal Aviation Administration representative needs to ride along with you. So I took that all into consideration and said, well, what would be easier for me to go ahead and go to the Airbus and then in a year and a half or two years upgrade to captain on that thing and, and not know it as well as I know the 88 and course the 88 was the obvious answer that it's the only thing i need to learn is how to be a captain so um versus learning the aircraft and all its idiosyncrasies so it makes it a whole lot easier so i'm looking forward to it um, thank you very much to the uh, to the room saying congratulations but uh i'm i'm uh, i'm honored it's really an honor so yeah well I, I can all i can do is wish you well thank you you got Eight, nine months now to chew your fingernails. <laughs> you know what he's, what he will be doing? I'm sure he's already been doing this, but uh, then you, you start paying more attention to that guy or gal sitting over there on your left and all the things that he or she is doing that you really, you know, kind of don't pay close attention to. And, uh, and by the time you're in training, you'll you'll have it all down. You'll go, okay, move out of my seat. I'm ready to take over. <laughs> yes, Jeff, yeah, move out of my seat. <laughs> you'll have a very short list of things that you think, oh, that's good. I'll do that. And a very long list of things where you go, I don't like the way he does that. I'm not going to do that. That is true. It's, there's more in that column than <laughs> yes. in the good column. Yeah, oh, I'm never going to do that. <laughs> what a yeah, joke. Well, and, and it's kind of funny you say that, uh, Jeff, because this past week I was flying with a, a line check airman. And actually, when I found out, I, I know I, I've known him from a past life. So uh, it was really cool to be sitting in the, the airplane uh, just before we closed the door to go to Green Cayman is when it came out. So uh, I got the news uh, just prior to pushing back and it was really nice to be there and be, if, if i was sitting there with you it would have been awesome mm -hmm. uh but just to have somebody that you know that you can kind of you know, talk about and then I, I looked at him and i said you know you're a line check airman this is what you do all the time do you mind if <laughs> if uh, we you know spend the next couple of days talking about all this I, I know you're not working as a line check airman now but he he was uh, very instrumental in uh, in kind of already prepping me to to be ready to, to, to go to the left seat. And I asked him to evaluate me as if, uh, 
you know, obviously I'm not sitting in the left seat, but evaluate my procedures and, and my uh, uh, performance and to let me know if there's any weaknesses that I have uh, going forward as far as uh, moving to the left seat. And he had, uh, he was very complimentary. Very little thing, very few things to, to com- comment on, on. So that made me feel really good. So, Thanks. so you know, flying in this uh, Mad Dog, uh, there are a lot of people like Dana who have been flying the airplane for a very long time. Some actually on it longer than I've been. And uh, it's funny because after, you know, a decade or more of flying as a first officer and you know they're you can tell when they're ready to upgrade because they start making captain decisions and sometimes i'll just kind of joke around with somebody and go all right captain you know just like to remind them that you know actually i'm still the captain here you know but uh, i kind of just move out of everybody's way usually unless it's something i don't want to do you know but uh it's, it's kind of fun so yeah. all right so, excuse me oh a little bit of a you. belch there sorry <laughs> time to eat okay um i think the last thing we're going to do here uh, and then we'll close the show because it's going to be as i mentioned before it's going to be a, a long duration show uh we're going to play the last part of um neville bounds wonderful interviews and then we'll uh, close out the show after this so take it away nev sitting next to jeff is barbara parish hello barbara hello nev yeah, it was a privilege to have some feedback, oh, especially at Pittsburgh. Uh, especially, it was a really special occasion. Uh, it's just great to be here. Yeah, it's been worth it's been worth all the jet lag to come over. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? I have an announcement to make. Um, everybody enjoys Captain Nick's plane tales, but Barbara sent in some feedback today that we played on our show which was just amazing. And so my official announcement is that there will no longer be Plain Tales by Captain Nick. It's going to be Barbara Parrish, and we're going to have to come up with some kind of catchy name for that. And and it's a surprise to her because now she's going to have to come up with something every week. And actually, we're we're sort of demoting Nick a little bit there, aren't we? I actually have another story. So that may actually happen. I may assert him up. You know, it's funny because I bumped into a lady who has uh, an uncle who was a pilot during the war. Apparently The Great Escape is based on her uncle, or the characters in The Great Escape. Or one of them, anyway, one of the characters. I have a feeling we haven't heard the last from Miss Barbara Parrish. I agree, and that, that's no bad thing at all. So uh, thank you very much indeed for coming, Barbara. A surprise last-minute visitor. What a, what a privilege it is to meet this, this fine fella. Miami, the guy that calls himself Miami Hick. Hello, sir. Hello, I'll take another Coke. Oh, I thought you were the waiter, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, uh, Miami Hick here. Uh, glad to be out here with everybody. I made the trip at the last minute and surprised everybody. I'm um, really excited to be here. This is the greatest uh, bunch of people that you could ever uh, want to be around. So um, I'm glad I'm here and uh, looking forward to having a good time. And were you able to negotiate this with the rest of your family? Yes, I was. That's uh, Well, I actually skipped out at the last minute. I told him I was running to the store for some milk, uh, and I hopped on a plane, and here I am. So it's too late to turn back now. Good for you, sir, and thanks ever so much for coming. Uh, everybody really appreciates the effort you've made. Absolutely. I'm, I'm more than honored to be here. Fantastic. Nice one. Thanks. Right, here I am with yet another member of the Airline Pilot Guy community, and uh, your name, sir? Bill Beats. Hi, Bill. We've not met before, so uh, it's fantastic, and thank you very much for, for coming. Where have you come from? 
I come from Norfolk, Chesapeake, Virginia. So how, how far is that uh, to come to Pittsburgh? Seven hour, seven hour drive. Yeah, and well worth it. Every mile. It's a, quite a commitment, isn't it, as well? It has been uh, just a delight to put faces, names, uh, and this, uh, especially meeting you, coming all this way, uh, and to hear, see you, different podcasts. Uh, it's just really been great. Well, we, we really appreciate you coming. And what, what's been the highlight of, of the day for you so far? I think probably walking into the lobby and seeing uh, people and then they'll say, ah, I know that person. And I know that, but I've never met them personally, but I know them through the podcast. And I really, uh, each one has a character. They're all characters anyhow, but they're characteristics of uh, community, which I really is drawing me to this, being part of this community. And I appreciate everyone for what they bring, and it's a delight. It's a delight, uh, you know, to be able to especially go back, see different episodes, come back, and just, you know, I'll sit there and begin to laugh right there, you know, and chuckle and, you know, enjoy the humor. And so it's good. And also the knowledge that you get is very good. Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, and Jeff and the team have done a great job. Uh, I know how much he appreciates you guys and the support that you, you give, the, give the show and the team. It's fantastic. Yeah, he uh, touches and like I uh, had a personal injury since August and, you know, laid up at home. And, you know, there might be some other folks uh, maybe the same way. But uh, the podcast has really helped someone that had to stay inside uh, for several months, recuperating, rehabilitation. It really encourages you uh, to be able to cope with, you know, pain or uh, being shut in. And uh, the podcast, it takes you, you're able to go around the world and see different people and uh, join in. So actually for you, and I mean this in a very serious sense, it's had some therapeutic qualities. So it was like six months in a wheelchair, which that was totally away from what I normally do. And as a therapist, you know, I was able to go and adjust my schedules and stuff, but still it was a hardship on uh, my uh, wife. And so it was a learning experience, being flexible. And uh, sometimes when you're in pain, I was telling Captain Jeff is, uh, you know, in doing that, uh, you're sort of alone. But being a part of the podcast really encouraged you to just hang in there. You know, another day it's going to be better. And so there might be some folks listening uh, that's going through some, you know, tragic event, loss. And my encouragement to them is, is there's another day and uh, surround yourself with good community like with all of these podcast folks. So for you, you would say it's really made a difference? It really made a difference, yeah. Through the night hours and the pain and uh, being, uh, you know, a lot of pain, a lot of medication, pain medication. But I was able to have the podcast on and, and visit different podcasts and through the night, you know, three, four in the morning. But it was it was a companionship to me. So that's one thing I really appreciated about it. Superb, Bill. Thanks ever so much for coming. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It's nice. Uh, it's a thrill of my life. This is my birthday present this year. And I told the doctors two months ago, I said, May, I'm going to be walking. I'm going to be out of the wheelchair because i got to get to Pittsburgh. And here you are. Thanks ever so much. More interviews. Uh, and uh, here I am on Captain Jeff's table uh, with First Officer Craig and his fiancée, Ashley. And uh, welcome, Craig. Thanks ever so much for coming. 
Thank you, Ned, for uh, the interview. And yeah, we've been having a great time so far. You know, uh, Ashley was getting a little cold outside during the live show, and I had to keep her warm. But uh, other than that, we've been having a good time and uh, just enjoying the great company, the good beer, and looking forward to the air show tomorrow and Sunday. Where's home for you, Craig? Uh, home for us is uh, Baltimore, Maryland. Yes. Right, so how long did that take you to come to Pittsburgh? Uh, it was about four and a half hour drive, so not too bad. Did it all the way straight shot, no stop. So it was a decent drive. Got to talk, listen to some other podcasts, none aviation related, but some interesting ones nonetheless. And what do you think about the community that Captain Jeff has, has developed? I mean, inadvertently possibly, but uh, it's quite fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, uh, whether it was by mistake or on purpose, it was. it's better than anyone could ever imagine that it would be. Uh, it's like everyone's been saying, it's so surreal to finally put voices and faces to people and meeting them all. And it's just been a great time so far and looking forward to the rest of the weekend. Superb. Thanks so much, Craig. And uh, Ashley, you must wonder what on earth this is all about. Oh, yes. I mean, but at the same time, Craig is a pilot, so he he informs me here and there about different things. So it's nice to be able to have that little bit of insight for somebody who doesn't know. Have you warmed up now? That's the main thing. <laughs> I think with the beer in me and, and some good company, yes, I feel like I've, I've definitely warmed up a little bit. Uh, is your career in aviation at all, or, or would you be interested in a career in aviation? Um, my career is not in aviation. My career is in like media and production kind of work. So, I mean, at the same time, you know, I've definitely thought about it just to because I feel like it is a cool community, and you get to see different places and meet new people and experience different ways of life. Well, superb, and thank you very much indeed for coming. Uh, I know Jeff and everybody really appreciates it. Well, thank you for having me. Awesome. <laughs> right, moving on to another table now. There's a lot of food on this table, and uh, there's plenty that will not be finished by the looks of things. So, here I am, sitting between Fred Sampson and Hillel, or HI11E1, as he calls himself. So, what do you think of the day so far, Hillel? It's been a lot of fun. Um, a lo lot chillier without my jacket, but a lot of fun. Uh, we were really delighted that we could fly in and uh, watch two shows, be part of them live. And I was actually surprised that everybody was quiet and let, let the shows happen for the most part. Yeah, not too much heckling, was there? And um, where did you fly in from? We flew in from an, a general aviation airport just outside of Baltimore card called Martin State Airport. It's Kilo Mike Tango November. And it was about a two hour, I'm sorry, one hour and 40 minute flight. And it was a lot of fun. And was the weather kind to you? The weather was very kind to us. We were in uh, instrument meteorological conditions for about an hour, but since the temperatures were above freezing, I was not quite concerned. Um, and we actually, for the last 40 minutes of the flight or so, maybe a little less, we were between layers. It was gorgeous. So it's nothing like flying low and slow between layers of clouds. And it was really, really pretty. It's always great to fly. It's even better when it's pretty. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, the original weather forecast wasn't that clever originally, but th things have improved a bit. Yeah, the original weather forecast, I had basically decided 24 hours before our original launch time that the weather was just getting worse and worse. And I'd almost given up on flying. I'd convinced myself that I wasn't going to hate life driving because I've done this drive many times and I cannot stand this drive. 
uh, by the evening, I checked the weather before going to bed, and it was actually much improved from the morning report. So I said, okay, I'll, when I wake up, I'll wake up extra early, I'll check the weather again. And I knew that uh, Fred was flying in, and he'd get in touch with me when he landed. And I said, hey, I think we may actually be able to fly at this point. And let's be honest here, we're going to fly. He's a safe aviator, but you're not so sure about his driving. Exactly. And it was beautiful. You know, we talk about flight planning a lot. We wanted to come in here, exactly land with one minute left on the TFR. We actually had, we were two on the ball. We had to slow down, not make sure we didn't get here too early. Make sure we just got here right on time. Want to be the last plane that landed before the TFR came in, so... And are the guys at Pittsburgh very accommodating for, for GA? Actually, the, the air traffic control close into Pittsburgh were the greatest. They recognized that we were not the fastest plane out there and that we had very little time to get in before the TFR, the temporary flight restriction, took place. So they put us on a direct heading directly for the airport, kept us at a high altitude uh, compared to a normal arrival and to help us avoid other traffic because they didn't want to have to vector us around. And they also knew that because we were a light general, air, general aviation aircraft, that we could descend at pretty much at, on command and make up the difference um, in our arrival distance. So that's what we did. They kept us at 6,000 feet until we were like maybe five miles from the airport. And then they brought us down and I told Fred, look, you're going to have to keep me on heading because I can't watch that that compass. So I'll, I've got to watch the other instruments because to make up the time when they brought us down from 6,000 to 4,000 feet, I didn't change the throttle except to prevent us from redlining. So we picked up like 30 knots ground speed at minimum, 40 knots ground speed, lost five minutes of time, which was great. Lost meaning we went from a 10-minute ETA to a five-minute ETA and, and really screamed it in to the, uh, to the arrival, which is awesome. So you made up some good time there and um, with some expeditious uh, operation from the local ATC guys. Fantastic. Yeah, they were great. Um, that plus gravity. We, worked, we, we played very nicely with gravity and, um, and took, our, took advantage of, of a little kinetic energy. So Fred, have you been enjoying it so far? So far, so good. We had good food, we had good beer, we had good friends. I could go home right now and be happy. So there's all this plus whatever happens tomorrow, plus whatever happens on Sunday. So it's going to be fun. Well, it's great to meet you again, Fred, and thanks ever so much for coming. Absolutely. Well, we'll uh, we're going to drink a little more tonight. We're going to get up early tomorrow and take all the airshow goodness in. And then we'll see where we go from there. Fantastic. Look forward to seeing you then. Always good to see you. I'm now talking to Captain Nick Anderson and Dr. Steph, who unusually for them are being a bit shy, but we'll see what we can do. I can't speak for Nick, but I'm sitting right here. He's running away. It's, I don't know what's going on. Strange behavior indeed. Have you warmed up a bit? Oh yeah, no, no, I'm actually quite warm in here. I had to actually shed a layer, so. <laughs> always, Steph's always hot, so uh, she's been fine. Yes, I thought you might say that, Nick. It's been very interesting today, isn't it? Meeting so many more of the APG community. I, I, I find it absolutely fascinating that um, we keep saying it, don't we, every time that Captain Jeff has created this community, and he's very modest about it, but actually the enjoyment that people get from it is uh, phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And when they heard there was free beer and a free T-shirt, they came in there millions. No, seriously. Yeah, he, he does a marvellous job. He's, uh, he's a great ambassador for the uh, uh, aviation community. He's a wonderful guy. Uh, everyone enjoys his company. 
And, uh, you know, he's, he's just one of those rare people that uh, doesn't seem to have a mean bone in his body. So it's a pleasure knowing him. And uh, it's, it's great meeting all these uh, new APGers who we've met for the first time today. And a lot of the old hands as well. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And uh, just talking to the guys and girls around here tonight has been fascinating. Absolutely. And uh, tomorrow's going to be a super day. So uh, going to enjoy the show. This will be, uh, oh, be really pleasant. Going to get some nice pictures, I hope. Generally speaking, hang around the APG tent. I hope we got a tent or something. And uh, avoid the worst of the weather. Actually, the weather's not been too bad because the forecast was shocking, wasn't it, originally? Absolutely, and uh, it was supposed to be wet, wet tomorrow, and I think we're going to get away with a pretty good day tomorrow. Great to talk to you, Nick. Thanks ever so much. And uh, all the best to everybody. Thanks very much. Looking forward to catching you all. Right, last interview of the evening with Mr. Adrian Meacham. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm great, Noel. How are you? A bit tired now, I have to say, although the jet lag has nicely worn off. It's been a great day and the, the weather held out too, didn't it? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, yeah, we've had a great day. I mean, out in the courtyard, yeah, it wasn't sunny, but it, it was stable. It was slightly chilly maybe, but it doesn't matter. I mean, we had a great time, great people, great drink, great food. And we got like jets flying over our head doing practice displays. I mean, what else can you say? I mean, it, it was absolutely awesome. So I, a really I, good day. it's very inspiring, isn't it? To actually be in this environment with the, the community that Captain Jeff has created with, with like-minded people. Oh yeah, I mean, totally awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine really, you know, I mean, kind of just hooked into this podcast thing just only a couple of years ago when I started to learn to fly and yeah, it's amazing, I think, and uh, like everybody today and, and tonight at the, at the meal, it's, it's, yeah, it's been great, really great, great, great people, really great. And the, the time, the time these people put aside for everybody, I can, you know, just kind of watching in the distance, watching sort of Jeff and, and uh, Carlos, everybody else, and the time they put into all the kind of guests who they've never met before and, you know, the conversation they have with them, and, you know, it's really good, really great, yeah. Would you say that this sort of community uh, and also being able to talk to the professionals as well, the guys and girls that actually fly this stuff for a living, does it inspire you with your own personal GA? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, I mean, my 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 limited flying in my little 150. It's nothing really, but you know, to sort of spend time with people who are flying professionally, either in a commercial or or um, in the case of um, Rick Bell, you know, on the kind of military side. Yeah, it's it's totally inspiring. Really great. Yeah, yeah, very special. Brilliant, Adrian. Thanks ever so much indeed, and uh, thank you for for coming over. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Neff. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. A big thanks again to Nev for doing those great interviews. Um, and it's, I, you know, I hadn't heard these until very recently. And it just, as I said before, brings me back to that night at Primanti Brothers. And um, I wish that all of you listening could have uh, joined us uh, for the Wings Over Pittsburgh air show. But hopefully there'll be uh, many opportunities in the future for you to take part uh, in the APG community and meetups in the future. So, um, yeah, I don't know what else to say there. Uh, thank you, Nev. Well, Jeff, you know. a marvelous uh, job. You're quite right. And, uh, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a nice bloke. And that's the person, uh, although you mentioned him earlier, we all need to thank as well because uh, he probably did more than any of us to uh, make it all happen. Marvelous yep. guy. And I wasn't there, but what he had to say uh, uh, about you, Jeff, is absolutely 100% spot, spot on. Everybody that I know that knows you um, really respects you because you're such a great person. You have done so much uh, for this show and so much for the community. And 
Yeah, oh, shut up. He's, <laughs> he's sticking his finger in his, in his mouth. That's he enough. Does, he does <laughs> Stop it, stop it, stop it. very modest. Yeah, it's, it's uh, modest. as I said so, all the time, it's it's not me, it's the community that's just grown up around community. me, and it's all accidental, it's, as Nev it, said. It, accidentally. It, it, is, it is the community, and you're absolutely correct. Yeah. However, if it weren't for you, there would not be the community. So okay. my hat's off to you. Well, thank you very absolutely. much, uh, Captain. Uh, I do appreciate that, and uh, yeah, well, you know, in my mind, you're already Captain Dana, so I have to earn it. You have been you have been blessed uh, by the APG, so everybody in the APG now knows you as Captain Dana. Mm. Um, So, with that, I think it's time to end this thing. I know uh, I do apologize for all of you listening uh, that that it ran a little bit long today, but I wanted to make sure we got all that great audio in and um, there are several pieces of feedback that we didn't get to in today's show and we'll just move them on over to the next uh, show folder and hopefully we'll be able to cover them next time and if you want to learn more about the show as always head over to that great uh, site that uh, uh, Arash Amin uh, or Mahin I'm sorry uh, our webmaster uh, manages Uh, it's a fantastic uh, site where you can find out more information about the show the crew the community, the coffee fund. If you're interested in getting merchandise, we have a link there to uh, Redbubble and Teespring for uh, shirts and other items. And uh, let's see, social media. Uh, who wants to tackle that one in uh, absence of Dr. Steph? Well, there's the Facebook page. You'll find on www.facebook.com forward slash airline pilot guy. And uh, on Twitter, you can find the airline pilot people at, uh, at APG crew. APG listeners, if you want to be part of our Slack team, please send an email address on Twitter to me, Hillel, H-I-1-1-E-1. Over on Slack, we plan events. We plan meetups. We talk about the episodes. We gather feedback. If you want to be part of the team, send me a tweet. See you there. Thank you, Hillel. And finally, we'd like to say thank you to all of you who have subscribed to the show, have downloaded it, have listened uh, to our episodes, and uh, sent in feedback. And of course, we uh, another uh, great round of thanks to our Coffee Fund contributors um, with without all of your support whether it be financial or monetary well that's the same thing isn't it or (laughs) feedback support or just uh hanging out with us uh in the live chat room every week Uh, we couldn't do it without you and we really appreciate you and hope to see you again next week on the next episode of the show and until then wishing you clear skies unlimited visibility and tailwinds take care and god bless bye everybody bye everybody Good day. W-A-P-G Airline Pilot Guy